Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. David is 11 years old. He weighs 60 pounds. He's four feet six inches tall. He has brown hair. His love is real. But he is podcast. Only 60 pounds. I want to say something. Yeah. Those stats are almost identical to me at that age. <laughs> I, I know for a fact I was 60 pounds and four foot six. And I was 12 when this movie came out. Yeah. I don't know how much I weigh now or then. I'm 62 now. Hi, everybody. My name is Griffin Newman. I'm David Sims. Welcome to Blank Check with Griffin and David. This is a podcast where we go through filmographies of directors who have massive success early on and then are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Mm. Sometimes the check's clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. Great. Um, and uh, this is a miniseries about the films of Steven Spielberg with the biggest blank check of all time when he founded DreamWorks Pictures. Mm-hmm. His own studio, post-Oscar win, he had nothing to prove and everything to gain. And uh, it's called Pod Me If You Cast. Yes, that's Pause the name. for laughter and yep. applause. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Our guest likes that. Our guest likes it. And today we're talking about what I believe you've said is your single favorite film in the Spielberg filmography. Is that correct? This is my personal favorite Spielberg, although I know that's, you know, that's kind of like a big jerky hot takey thing to say. Like, obviously, I like like E.T. Right. But just to restate, you're you're saying in terms of personal preference, not objective greatness, right? I've seen this. In terms of personal preference, not just within this miniseries, but the entire filmography, Mm -hmm. this is your favorite. Yeah. Which is, I mean, yeah, I don't think a lot of people would agree with me. Right, and the right. film, of course... Right. But, I mean, but I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. No, you know, no, yeah. no. This is up there for me. Uh, the movie, of course, we're talking about is PC, artificial cast intelligence. No. <laughs> no, no. AI, artificial <laughs> intelligence. An awkward title. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. With no colon, either. No. It's a just dot it's the acronym. I dot. And then what the acronym is. Two old American call, words. like calling a movie like FYI for your information, right? Like it, it's a silly title. That's but a cool didn't he do title. That, oh, sorry. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no. We like didn't he do that to mirror E.T. the extraterrestrial? Mm. I feel like E.T. has a But then why does call it AI the artificial intelligence? Yeah. Oh, right. Right. A, A, yes, that. B, I think E.T. is E. E.T. has no colon. Really? No colon. Well, he does. I mean, how else would he poop? Well, we don't see him poop. So we David, don't. one comedy point. Give me one. Give me one. All right, one comedy point. Thank you. Okay. I don't really do that. I don't really give the comedy points. It's just funny because it's yeah, a you, bit we do. You should try to be a little more generous. No, I think it's good that I'm very you're sparing. The, you're the Scrooge of comedy points. Yep. Yep. Old miserly Sims over here. AI, artificial intelligence. We have a very exciting guest on the show today. He's uh, currently... Just over here highlighting my notes and my three pages of notes that I took on this film. Putting his notes in a little box like on an old movie when they would, uh, <laughs> on the posters, you know, and they would put someone's name in a box to prove that they were more important. Mm. He is the most prepared of any guest we've had on the show. I think that's true. He's taken out a notebook full of graph paper that is filled to the brim with notes. Mm-hmm. In block capitals. Yes. <laughs> the most artificial intelligence way of writing. That's true. And let's say this. What if it was like David's weird notes? It was like... You know, I love mommy and Teddy loves mommy, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I don't love Teddy. Is right, that yeah. what your notes are? <laughs> <laughs> no, my notes are pretty boring. Uh, we have wanted this guest on the show so badly that I believe socially at one point you threw out, like, what movie would you ever want to talk about? And and you said AI. No, it was, you came to me. 
Really? I think I did, yeah. Yeah, you were like, look, you guys, I think I had mentioned to you that we had thought about doing Spielberg one this day. This was like you three miniseries ago. You ever right. wanted to do Spielberg, like, I want AI. He, right. You earmarked this a long time ago. Uh, but I'll say that was like a motivator towards us actually finally doing the miniseries, was the ability to do this episode. Really? The AI, artificial intelligence, six-hour spectacular? I've always yeah. wanted to do this. Yeah, but I'm saying that I, I'm trying to hype up the guests. Oh. How excited oh, 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 we are oh, to have course. him! No, no, we're so excited to have him here. Yes. Uh, where do you know him from? Many, many different places. Uh, the sadly defunct television series uh, "Going Deep" with David Reese, which was one of my favorite shows on television. Really? I was a huge oh, fan. Oh, it. thank you. I you, don't think I knew that. Thank you. You I appreciate uh, changed that. the way I tie my shoes. Ah. Oh. Amongst other things, but that's the Wonderful. big one on a day-to-day basis. Awesome. In thank my, you. In my that, telephone, Griffin. everybody's name has an emoji. I give uh-huh. everyone, and yours is a piece of bread because uh, the toast episode oh, of Going Deep is my personal all right. favorite. Yeah, yeah, uh, I like that. It's a it's a phenomenal show that people uh, should watch. Check out. Can it be checked out? Is it hard to check it's, it out right I now? I think it's kind of <laughs> it's hard like, to find. You need like, to download it illegally, maybe. Well, I think it. I think you can buy it on Amazon Prime. There's okay. two Ooh, seasons, and the good seasons company. were on two different networks, and it's kind of. I think start with Amazon Prime, and if right. that doesn't work, just, um, just send me an email. And I'll do. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's do say this. Worth worth the hunt. Much yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, our our, uh, okay, so this is our young hero searching for the Blue Fairy. You should not give up. It is the Blue Fairy of, of instructional television programming. Six <laughs> of the ten episodes in your first season are available on Amazon Prime, and four are not. Really? Like, And it's totally <laughs> arbitrary. The second, third, oh. fifth. And ninth episodes are not available. Our guest is David Reese, by the way. Yeah, hey David. Uh, election Hi. profit makers. Like, what, what else? Get your what war on. Things? I don't know. It's, yeah. yeah. A lot of just random stuff. An amazing career. A storied career. <laughs> that now caps off with the highlight of it all. The final chapter. AI artificial intelligence. Yep. AI artificial intelligence. Uh, so uh, this is Spielberg's first film in three years after Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, so he's working. Oh, really? In, yeah, he's working in his three bursts. That's insane. Three he movie takes a burst. This is the first break. movie he made after Saving Private Ryan. Yep. Because it goes in like oh. 97, 98, he does Lost World, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan. And right, then yes. in the upcoming, he did from 01 to 02, he does AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can. He does these three movie bursts. Yeah. And then in 05, 06, he does War of the Worlds Munich. Oh, no, sorry, 04, 05, he does Terminal War of the Worlds in Munich. And then he disappears until Crystal Skull in 08? Yeah. Yeah. So, he, he yeah, he's in this weird, like, he has these flurries of creative yeah. activity. But it's like Lost World, or, or rather Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, drop the mic, walks away for four years, comes back, delivers two flops, Amistad and Lost World. Right? Lost World does well but sucks. Amistad doesn't work. Right. And then he disappears. Or, no, then no, he does Saving Private Ryan. Ryan. He wins another Oscar. Highest grossing film of the year, drops the mic again mm-hmm. for three years, comes back with AI. Now, the big thing that happens in between 1998 and 2001 is Stanley Kubrick dies. Yeah. And I think uh, he, we can talk about it, but that was what spurred him to make the movie, right? He was like, right. okay, we got to honor Stanley, I guess. Stanley's memory. And differing stories, he different did the kind accounts. of, like, this will be the movie I make, right? Like, he yeah. sort of did the put off everything else. Like, yeah, I need to make to this now. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Kubrick had been developing this movie for, for ages, but in a sort of very vague kind of way like I, I I know the whole thing was that he knew he wanted to make a movie about a robot child but that do you, do you, technology know was all. never do you totally know this there. stuff David or no can I t- okay no. so yeah Stanley Kubrick was obsessed with this story Super Toys last all summer long just from the 60s from right? the 70s yeah. Brian Alda's story and it's just the first third of this movie you know it is what the story is. It's just the the oh, robot right. boy yeah, comes yeah, yeah. to his okay. okay. And there's the the Teddy is a character, and you know, like that. It's just it was just that. 
Uh, he, because Stanley Kubrick is crazy, he wanted to build a robot child. Right, he wanted to wait in until real they life, could build yeah. a real robot for he the He was movie. like, we'll wait for the tech to catch up so that we can have, like, an artificial child, right? I know. Are Davis you serious? Made, yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. So I don't think the movie was ever that actively developed because he was like, well, I'll just kick it around my brain a little, but we can't right. really start scripting until the robot exists. Right, and right. apparently- and Got to write for the robot. Got to write for the robot. The film, and, and then he, and then Kubrick decided that this was a, quote, picaresque version of The Adventures of Pinocchio. And so he handed Ian Watson or whoever wrote the first like, yeah. sort of screenplay. Who gets screen Pinocchio. story credit on this. Yeah. yeah, and he said, like, you have to get Pinocchio into this. Like, this is a Pinocchio story. Like, this is what it's going to be. And then at some point, they made a robot child and they did, like, a screen test. And apparently it was so horrifying that, like, Kubrick was like, forget it. <laughs> like, oh, and I would love to see Oh, my this, gosh. That'd be amazing. This nightmarish, they just had like, some realistic crummy, robot child look like. Crummy. <laughs> In robot the, clanking around reading lines in the, in the 90s like in the early 90s like oh my gosh can i tell a crazy side story chris cunningham you know the the music video director mm -hmm. who yeah. did like he did the bjork video with the robots yeah. and stuff. Yeah. he was he was part of this process he was he was brought on to try and uh, yeah uh can i tell a crazy side story tell your crazy side story uh early 80s when my dad was sort of kicking around didn't know what he was doing in his career uh he worked for this guy named lewis allen who was like a big uh, broadway producer who did annie and a lot of stuff okay and uh, Lewis Allen was like an old like establishment guy, but he was really into like youth counterculture. Okay. And he became very close with Andy Warhol, and he thought Andy Warhol was fascinating. And he was like, "You should do a one man show on Broadway where you tell stories as Andy Warhol." And Andy Warhol was like, "I'll only do it if it's a robot." And so they, for like a year or two, developed an Andy Warhol robot that was going to do a Broadway one man show where the robot told Andy Warhol stories. And it was, like, apparently a similar thing. Like, my dad's talked about it in passing, but as, like, this very traumatizing thing when they were like, okay, the robot's ready, and they all just were freaked it, it, out Like, the it. robot came out and, uh, yeah. yeah. It must have been, like, one of those uh, Disney Hall of yes. Presidents of <laughs> Yes, that's exactly right. what it was. Yeah, I think right. they were yeah. talking to the yeah. Imagineers to right. try to make this Andy Warhol robot. Right. Um, I know in the early 90s, Kubrick started talking more seriously about doing it with Joseph Mazzello. Yes, right? they, they screen-tested Joseph Mazzello, who's the boy in Jurassic Park. And uh, but they also built little quote little robot type humans. That's Chris Chris Cunningham saying. Uh, but it was a total failure. It looked awful. I mean, yeah, yeah. But this is sort of so when he, he and Spielberg he hands start it to touching Spielberg. on right. He goes, I think this might be more of a, a Spiely movie than a Kubi movie. And apparently, I know a lot about this movie because I was obsessed with it when I was a teenager. They would fax each other all the time mm -hmm. because you know Kubrick lived in his big mansion in uh, England. And he's making eyes wide shut, and God knows what else he's doing. But he would fax all these ideas to Steven Spielberg, and Spielberg would fax them back. And they, I just like the idea of That's faxing yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, and then Spielberg, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Kubrick dies. Uh, eyes wide shut comes out, and Spielberg decides like to roll up his sleeves and write his first screenplay since Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Which is the thing I find most fascinating about yeah. this movie is he that wrote he it. wrote it and he has sole screenwriting credit. Oh, that's <laughs> such a power. That makes me love this movie more. I, it kind of makes me love Steven Spielberg more. Yeah. I love Steven Spielberg, but I would, yeah, I would love to ask him, like, yeah, like, why, why, why did you feel like you had, he doesn't, no, right? he, he doesn't do that. He likes to work with your Tony Kushner's, right? You know, yeah. your, your big Hollywood, uh, you know. Your Jeff Nathanson's. Yeah, your Eric Roth's. Yeah, your David Kep's. Um, but it's, it's very fascinating to me because, um, the hype for this movie was so huge 
A, because we were at this sort of like threshold in effects, I think, where everyone was like, oh shit, Spielberg making what? like a serious robot movie. And like, who knows what this is even going to fucking look he's like? He's making his first sci fi movie since, right? Since yeah. Close Encounters? I mean, I don't know, since E.T. E. Yeah. 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 But, but you even know, that's, right? That's E.T. E. Is, is one sci fi element in suburbia. Like, he right. hasn't done like a whole cloth world building thing since Hook, which was a fucking disaster. And that's not like the right milieu for him. Like this was an exciting thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he had never gone this deep into a sci-fi world. That's yeah. He'd never done a future movie. Right. Right. And then the Kubrick Spielberg thing was just like both of them together. What's this fucking gonna look like? Yeah. Dream team. Right. And it was like oh, dead if- Kubrick and living Spielberg. Uh-huh. Dream team. Well, I think it was ro- always a little robot boy to bring them together. <laughs> the most idealized version of it was like oh, if you have uh, Kubrick's precision and intelligence with Spielberg's emotions, and maybe the two of them can, like, make something... We don't even know what this movie would function like. You know, because the complaint against Kubrick is that he's a little cold and distant. Even the people who love him go, like, that's his thing. And Spielberg, the complaint is, like, he's a master manipulator, but sometimes he manipulates too much. Mm -hmm. What if they could... Oil and water, right? What What if if they they meet in the middle? Mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of doomed the movie. Like, I think the movie's reputation is better now that it's viewed as a Spielberg movie, wholly... Yeah, people were like, "Oh, well, I liked the Kubrick stuff." You know that, that you would hear that a lot. I don't know if you heard this, David, when when you saw it, but like people would sort of say, "Like, well, there was this cool dark stuff." I assume that's Kubrick's what's the influence. what is the Kubrick stuff? I, well, I mean, that's the thing is, I don't think I think it's all Spielberg. Well, it's all Spielberg and Kubrick. Like yeah. Kubrick's laid out this story, and Spielberg wrote it. You know, but like nothing was changed. I think Kubrick added a lot of the, the Rouge City stuff, the middle stuff. That was all his idea. That's the mo- well. All right. But then the end is his idea, too. Like, the whole Pinocchio thing's his idea. You know, like, that was the story that he handed Spielberg, and Spielberg, you know, It was a movie they developed together. It's like, you can't, like, separate separate the two things. It wasn't like they were, like, the postal service, and they were sending, like, parts of it. It wasn't exquisite corpse, you know? Okay. So when did you see this movie, David? We were talking about I saw it in the theater in... uh, It came out June 2001, right at the end of June. So I probably saw it in July 2001 at BAM. A Brooklyn art, art cinema. Is it an art? Whatever. You know what I mean. Yeah, Brooklyn. Fancy movie theater. Yeah. yeah. And I actually had dinner with a friend of mine last night, and I told him I was coming on this podcast. I guess you could say I was bragging a little. Mm-hmm. And um, It's a big brag. And uh, I said, do you remember when we saw AI together? And he said, I never saw AI with you. And I was like, really? I was sure we saw it together. And he was wow. like, no, no, I don't think I've ever seen it. But I do remember I had what I think was the <laughs> I saw it in the theater. I really don't remember what I thought about most of the movie, but I do remember they towards that final act, the bonus act. Sure. Yeah. After two thousand years underwater, mm-hmm. feeling like this movie is crazy, <laughs> and people in the audience snickering sure. and, and being vocal in their disdain for what they thought was this incredibly treacly feel good ending. Right. It is and, but I fairly creepy ending. Although it's yeah, also can we say for the record, I consider this one of the most disturbing movies I've like. I find this movie. I've watched. I associate this movie with a pervasive sense of dread. <laughs> yeah, it's one and of the most fatalistic movies I've ever. And seen. I think yeah. it is. I think once you realize it is a horror movie about the human condition, you realize this movie is incredible. And I think 
the disdain that a lot of people have for it is they cannot handle the intensely bleak worldview that Steven Spielberg is dropping on everybody. I think that's pretty fair. Especially since it's the opposite of what his movies usually kind of give you. Walking right. Out of the movie, right. The so you away. assume, well, but you, also you, people you know Spielberg made it, and so you assume that it's right. going to be a, so you reinterpret everything through this lens of like, well, he's sleeping with his mommy. That's such a Spielberg ending. The kid gets what he wants. It's like, oh, this is really crazy and yeah. fucked up and dark. He essentially kills her at the end of the movie. By bringing her back to life, yeah. he's removing her from the space-time continuum so she can never exist again. No, it's, and all, I'm, yeah, I think this movie is incredibly dark and bleak and disturbing. And, I uh, agree. Yeah. I feel like it's a horror. You know, uh, you've ever seen Synecdoche, New York, the Charlie Kaufman movie? Yes, I think we're both fans. One of my all-time favorite movies. Well, and you know, the story of that movie is that they asked him to make a horror movie, and he was like, well, what's the scariest thing in the world? Growing old and dying. So I'll make a horror movie about that. And, and this kind of, and that movie to me also has a sense of real dread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Creeping yeah. menace. Yeah, and that that's the same. Watch. Yeah, and that's how I feel about it. AI artificial intelligence. It's so it's so weird. I oh, I this? thought this was a, such a feel good movie. No, no. dude, definitely, no, definitely Just really def- cheered me up. Definitely made me not. feel good. Uh, David, you asked who this is. This is Ben. Hi. All right, do your thing. What thing? You know, you know all the names for Ben. Oh no, I'm sorry. This isn't that Ben. Oh, this is different. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> producer Ben has all the nicknames. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but, I brought my own producer, Ben. Well, so our Ben was not available today. Uh-huh. He had booked a prior engagement, so David brought his own Ben bot. Oh, this is a Ben bot. This is a Ben bot. <laughs> well, that's why probably why he did. He thought it was a feel good movie. I am so excited to talk about this movie because <laughs> it makes me feel like a boy. <laughs> is it a game? No, I'd like to his, play. Say his best line, his first line in the movie. I like your floor. <laughs> it's a good and he's, he's so... weird little ballet shoes that he's wearing. <laughs> I like your floor. Uh, I like your floor. When yeah. when did you see this movie, Griffin? Okay, so I got a little bit of a crazy story. I, it's like you never just sit down and see a movie. Every time it's some goddamn convoluted Are you ready story. for this one? Sure, sure, go ahead. Yeah. I went to the world premiere of AI. Oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> really? David Rees spits his coffee <laughs> out spit in shock. Uh, where was the world premiere? It must have been in Ziegfeld Los Angeles. Theater in New York oh, it was in New York City. Okay. Yeah, with like everyone fucking there. My grandmother is like essentially like a professional uh, cocktail party attendee. Mm. It's a fun job. Yeah, she's like an actual like a, a socialite in the traditional uh, use of the term rather than what's become today. Right. And she's someone who's like twice gone to the Academy Awards without a ticket. That's that's great. Was she just like walked? Are in? you from a showbiz family? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm from a family that exists in a weird sphere around show business. Okay. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not like uh, Randy Newman's son. Okay. Despite trying to tell myself my entire childhood that I was. <laughs> it would have been great. It would have been great. I would have been so good as Randy Newman's son. Um, but yeah, my grandmother like worked as a liaison for a tertiary film festival in the north of France. Sure. Getting actors to come. So her entire life is just that she has like connections and communications with people. And so she hasn't paid for a movie in like 35 years because she just goes to screenings of everything. And she doesn't usually go premieres, but somehow she got tickets to this. And brought me in. I was like a ride or die HJO fan at this point. That was Billy my big Joel appeal. Because I was like 12 and I was starting to get like angsty and I thought Spielberg was a fucking hack. You know? I was Whoa. like, this master manipulator, he's a fucking hack. I don't want to be manipulated. Give me the truth. Like the live action Scooby-Doo movie. Give me the straight shit. Right? But had Haley Joel been in anything but The Sixth Sense? Uh, this is his second movie, wasn't it? Pay It Forward comes out later this year, right? This was his second movie, I think. No, no, Pay It Forward had already come out. It had? Okay. Yeah. 
So Pay It Forward, I I was really into. Oh, what my a dad always mocks movie. me. My dad always mocks me because the lights came up and I turned to him and I went, "Best picture, best director." <laughs> oh my god! I predicted it was going to win the top five categories. Such an idiot. Yeah, I was <laughs> a fucking a dumb dummy. Idiot. I was a fucking dummy. Uh huh. Okay, wow. so you went to the. You liked Haley Joel. You went to the. Premiere. But I was like, ah, oh, the Spielberg bullshit. Everyone else was like, excited for this, excited for this, and I was like, it looks dumb. And I went to the premiere, and it was a star-studded event. Mm. Mike Myers was two rows behind us. I was flipping <laughs> out, right? And then the movie starts, and I'm I just I'm from frame one digging it so hard. There is such a palpable sense of dread. Like I was like, oh, this movie actually reflects my worldview now as a twelve-year-old who's starting to become aware mm. of the world around him and is terrified by all of humanity uh-huh. and sees how pointless all of it is. You know? Wait, so you picked up on that even when you were a kid, the dark part of the movie? Because I was a really dark kid. Oh, I was a, a I was a very dark, creepy little kid. In addition to being the exact same size as David the Robot, right? I was kind of like him in this movie. Like I just the like the constant fear of not being loved, right? Yeah, in yeah. just to like yeah, sit yeah. in a corner yeah. and like shudder, kind right, of way. Right, keep me safe, right. keep me safe. Right, that right. kind of thing. The keep me safe. <laughs> yeah. thing. That was like me. So I saw it and I was like, this feels like an autobiography. Uh huh. <laughs> Great. And I also just I love I love robotics. Mm-hmm. I love robotics as like a theme. I love the visual sort of patina robotics. And I just felt like all of that is so well realized in this movie. Loved it. The It was the premiere audience. So everyone like flipped for it. And it got a fucking standing ovation. Really? Yeah. And I, mean, I remember like. World pre- you know, the premiere, they all. Is that usually a safe bet thick. of it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. But right. like when Jude Law's came up, name came up in the end credits, people went like ballistic. And it was like, he's going to win Best Supporting Actor this year. Like everyone was like drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Right. And I went home to my parents and I was like, it's amazing. And they were like, but I thought you hate Spielberg. And I was like, I was, that's old Griff. He's a fucking dummy. AI is the truth. And I like hyped up to all my friends at school and sure. I told my parents. And then like three weeks later, it comes out and everyone calls me and they're like, what's this fucking bullshit? <laughs> my parents called me. I was at summer camp uh-huh. and I, oh, I called them on the payphone and they were like, we were like, like snickering at the end of it. When the teddy bear comes up with the hair, it's goofy. <laughs> It's like a dumb kids movie. What the fuck are you talking about? Here? No, it's. Yeah, no. They're think wrong. about how terrifying his line read when he hands the hair to them, and they're and he's like, and now you can bring her back, can't you? Or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like this. Ray. Yeah. This no. Yeah. We, oh yeah. I know. Yeah, I yeah, agree yeah. with you. And that thing. He. You know. He has enough purpose to understand. Like when they're like, you know, we want you to be happy. And he's like, then you know what you right. have to do. You have to let me go to bed with my mommy. But there was a period of time. I'm gonna make her. Cup of coffee, goddammit. Right. There was a period of time where I wondered, did I only like it because I saw it in the premiere and that's like right. yeah, 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 yeah. the environment? The and then there was also a time fever, where basically. I was like, you know, years passed and I was like, well, I was like 12. I haven't rewatched it. I was like, I, mm. there a lot, I had a lot of dumb opinions at that time. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't you, know. Like, pay it forward. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, is that just, was I just so on the HJO train that I like couldn't see objectively? And then I maybe watched it again like when I was 18. I didn't see it between 12 and 18 and was just like, nope, this fucking rules. And I've seen it like four or five times since then. I love it. Wow. I think it's a great movie. Uh, yeah, I so, don't think. You no, know, go ahead, David. It's not a movie I would. Weirdly, I rewatch this movie a lot. I, really, I, like it once, just feels too bludgeoning. It is, but I I've seen it a lot. I once think a year, reason I can handle it. Too. I I get that itch, and it's the same thing with Synecdoche, which is one of my favorite movies. Sometimes That's I'm just a movie like, I cannot rewatch. Sometimes for, I need to watch it because nothing else is gonna be uh, like you I'm know tickle I'm ne- that. It's like a bloodletting or something. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm never there. I'm never there where I'm like Synecdoche, New York. I need to. I get the idea that you you know watching a sad movie helps you you know expel certain sort of emotions or whatever. Like you find Synecdoche, New York darker than AI artificial intelligence? Synecdoche, New York is about death. Like, and that, that right. freaks me out much more. Mortality, right? AI, obviously, it's about that as well, but it's also, to me, it's about religion, which I love. Like, it's about, right. like, man's 
relationship to God, right? Or right. his creator and like right. all the weird purposelessness of our existence is blown out enough. And of course it has the sci-fi look, you know, has the genre feel that like, you know, that's like a, a nice little gauzy layer. I mean, Synecdoche kind of does too, to right. be fair, but Synecdoche is about like being ill and like, right. It's so like gray and, ugh. but when you, uh, re- when I you, love the movie, I love when it. you just, rewatch uh, this movie, do you watch it with pleasure? That's a good question. I mean, I know it doesn't make you happy. Doesn't right? make me no. happy. No, 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 no. But you know what? Right? I mean, like, why do people watch horror movies? Why do they watch sad movies? Right? Like, isn't it more just sort of like you get some kind of cathartic release yeah, guess, out of yeah. it? Or like, I like processing these thoughts. I've also, well, all right. So I saw the movie in theaters. It came out in Britain uh, after September 11th. Humble brag. Right after. Like, to the 21st. I double checked it, but it was the 21st of uh, September. Wow. And so I remember it was like particularly I saw it like opening day and the twin towers are in that fucking thing. Right. And uh everyone in the audience like shuddered when that happened. Like and there was a British audience, but, yeah, you know, right. nonetheless. And uh yeah, I was talking to David about this before we started recording, but like this was the movie where like, I liked it a lot when I saw it. I loved it. I saw it with all my friends, they all hated it. We like walked out, they were all mocking it. And uh, I didn't know what to do. It was like one of those early, like, I'm like, wait, why am I, like, so wrong on this? Like, or, like, I yeah. guess I had that anxiety. Right. And I bought it on DVD, and I bought the soundtrack. I was a little weird. That's weirdo. effed up that you it's, own the yeah. soundtrack. It's weird, right? It's, like, weird. I have it on CD. Are like, you <laughs> Are you? Are you an only child? You're not, are you? No, my brother. Right. And I got my brother into this damn movie. He And he, yeah, yesterday, was like, he's excited for this episode. And he was like. Where's the DVD? I need that DVD. You know, like, yeah, yeah. David's just quietly thinking, processing this. Well, I think it's really interesting that for both, you both saw it when you were younger than I was when I sure. saw it. And for mm. both and both and for both of you, it feels like you knew right out of the gate what it was you were watching and how to respond to it. Whereas I was, I think I had to see it again or do some reading about it before I realized mm. I did oh, too. the reason everyone's laughing is because they can't handle it. Yeah, no, I um, had to, I definitely was baffled by the ending the first time I saw it. I think the tone struck me oddly. Like, I didn't get why it was so like heavenly, like you know, in like sort of, uh, I guess you know, like I didn't get the voiceover. I I didn't get why it was being presented to me this way. The ending is so crazy. It's crazy. And it's, it's one also, of the craziest endings. Yeah. It doesn't tell you that the. Things are robots, right? I mean, Which most people human, misinterpret them right. as aliens. A lot of people. I always thought they aliens. were aliens until I was getting ready for this podcast right. and I was reading a couple essays and someone and someone said, "Well, m- most idiots thought they were aliens. They're actually evolved AI." And I was like, "Oh yeah, of right. course. That's why they're so stoked to find him, right? Because it's like literally they found like a link. Rosetta Stone. Yeah, they found yeah. the missing link. Yeah, yeah. And um, they look. They think people think they are aliens because they look like aliens because they're they tall, and, skinny, right? Things. Exactly. Yeah. And like that's what aliens look like, right? Yeah, I mean, when I but when you see it and like the way they yeah. share the info when they sort right. of yeah, yeah, touch they make each their other, network, yeah. their neural that, network. That to me is the best. But it is interesting that they don't like put a point on it, you know, because I do think that baffled a lot of people. And they well, and there's just the offhand reference. To, I mean, like, it'd be weird if they were like, "We are robots." Right. <laughs> there's the offhand <laughs> reference to like the originals, like they were man-made. They right. had right. communication yeah, yeah, with yeah, humans, yeah. you know, as opposed to um. See, when I saw it the first time when I was when I was twelve, um. I, I don't think I could intellectualize it at all. I just knew, and it was sort of the same thing when I saw Synecdoche, where I was like, this is funneling into that fear that I've never been able to verbalize before. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, it just kind of hit so specifically with, like, as a kid who was like, 
alternatingly obsessed and terrified by love and death as like abstract right. concepts yeah, yeah. and could never fucking put it into words but would just stay awake at night with like this dread this movie tapped into that and it made it so frustrating when I was like a kid and everyone else was like this movie's dumb I laugh at it and I couldn't explain why it was good other than just like no but it's good you couldn't make the intellectual argument I think right. one one thing that's interesting yeah. about this movie to me is that it it it's scare it's I to me it's like that feeling of dread that I had even before I really understood what was so dreadful about it which is not the intellectual I mean it's just deep like it goes so deep into the you know the fathomless emptiness that defines the human condition right, sure, and right. love the and purposelessness right, and how of our love emotions. is like an illness which, which is, is almost like which is like below yeah. the level of an intellectual argument and then but then you can also be scared of it when you try to make an intellectual well this is a movie about how all religion is a huge mommy substitute. It's not going to work. And people are so selfish. They just want their mommy to love them, even at the cost of all of humanity being destroyed. Yeah. That doesn't even register for them as long as they can make a cup of coffee for their mom, who will be dead in the morning. Sure. It is essentially structurally a one-night stand with your own mother. Right. Which is the next morning the relationship is gone and he just stumbles home or whatever's going to happen. And he can only have her by killing her. That's the yeah. other thing. That's the right. craziest yeah, 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 thing yeah, about yeah. the fucking ending, which no one talks about, right. is they explain to him. They're like, like yeah, we figured it out, we know how to bring someone shot, back, but yeah. we remove them from the space-time continuum. <laughs> right. Like, DNA is part of the fabric of time. Yeah. She'll have never existed if you get to spend 24 hours with her. And he's like, yeah, I'll take the 24 hours. Like, he uh, wants to have I don't to know if she'll have never existed. I don't think that's... that's how I think I they snap back the specificity, the specificity of, of the well, we can bring her back, but it can only last for 24 hours. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah. Again, it's a little that's bit of a like ancient so riddle or something. Yeah, it's just like so bonk. Yeah, it's like when you hear about a myth from olden times, and it's like, well, and then he turned into a constellation, and he could only come out in the spring and the summer because his dog was lost. You know, it's like, <laughs> why has this got to be so fucking specific? No, but that's what I love, right, about like Greek myths about like we have why freaking Persephone is stuck in hell for six right, months out right. of the year. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right. It has that. It, she ate those six pomegranates. Right. Like, what if she? Anyway, go on. They're just the. Tw- that the twenty four hour thing again. It's you get the sense that Spielberg's like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna go for broke." Yeah, right. He can right. have her again, but it's only gonna. It can't. Like he could have easily made a movie. It's like, well, we're first of all, we're not aliens. We're robots. Right. And you're the you're our favorite robot. We've been looking for you. Whatever you want. I want mommy. I want mommy. All right. Well, this is two thousand years in the future. Here's a new mom. Same DNA. It's essentially your mom. Go live in this house forever. Sure. Then, right. You know, you could have there, that. There could right. be that. Spielberg's yeah. like, nah, I got to twist a few more screws here, so you yeah. can only have her for twenty four. I mean, it's like he's going crazy. I I think this movie makes me think <laughs> Steven Spielberg is a really interesting person. Me too, because this is the script, right? That he he created without. One would imagine it's like the many, many layers of Hollywood filters that his scripts and lots of scripts. Right. Through, and right? and you even know. though I don't think I liked the movie as much as I do now, even when I saw it, I did come away being like, well, this is a dude who can do whatever he wants. Yeah, sure. Because yeah. I mean, it's the there's no podcast, fucking right? way this movie was made by committee with a bunch of studio <laughs> no. executives right. being like. <laughs> it's well, true. And that's a crazy thing that jumped out to me watching it this time is think of I, I was struggling to come up with examples. Okay. Think of other movies in the last, let's say, five or six years that have this level of world building and production design and intricacy, right, mm-hmm. into the technology, the design of all the characters, the environments and all of that, mm. that uh, is not in service of set pieces because there are no set pieces in this movie. Not really. No. Right? Well, there's one really lackadaisical 
chase sequence. Yeah, one it feels right. really Half-hearted. kind of where they listless. get in the damn My notes here say yeah. listless chase sequence <laughs> for like because ninety no seconds. One, and right. it, like this is the thing. Like in Minority Report, which is his next movie, which is very very devoted to like having its tech feel organic and like everything makes a certain sort of sense. Like and this is like they get in a damn helicopter thingy that's a cop. Helicopter. Right. They drive away. No one's gonna just like flick some switch that's like turn off the helicopter. Right. Like, is there no fail safe here? Right. And so they just drive. You know, who cares? He doesn't care. You know, it's, like, it's an aquacopter, right? What's he call it? It's a, it's a amphibicopter. Amphibicopter. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's uh, you know, like he doesn't want. When the narrator about says stuff, right? amphibicopter, it's so awkward and Ben Kingsley. And yeah. ben specific, Sir Ben. That's ben Kingsley. been that. That's Ben Kingsley. Yeah. And you, you can you imagine him being handed the script and he's like, what, what's this one? Amphibicopter. <laughs> right. I highlighted the word right. I don't understand. You sure you don't want me just to say the vehicle? It's like, no, it's an amphibicopter. It goes underwater and in the sky. Like, it means something. Say also, it. Also, I mean, we should know, like, the cars in this movie are the dumbest designed cars. I car. love They them. would flip if you did a gentle curve, right? Like, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I would say the production design has not aged well. And I wonder I if that's deliberate. I would agree, but it's I, fascinating. I wonder yeah. if that's deliberate because the the world, the first of all, the t- the typeface that they use for the instruction sheet and the and the packaging is not looking good. No, it's really bad packaging. Right. Oh, you mean her weird like uh, overhead the, projector the, the, yeah, slide? The transparency, yeah. the transparency <laughs> sheet, that typography, and then the packaging of the David robots at it's the a end. Bad box. Mm. Right. It's a horrible box. Yeah. Who wants a box that just shows you a silhouette and, yeah, of it the? Looks and like then, a naked child is yeah. in there. And then yeah. their house is very non. Doesn't house it looks very yeah, it yeah looks very chintzy yeah and I I I like the input well we should try to approach it but like I, well we should start with the freaking house anyway but uh I like the idea or at least that there's some like there's only a little of this going on at this point right of this you, luxury living that there's some like very very narrow almost like fake bubble of like, right we still live in the suburbs and yeah. it's fine right right, right you know right. because. The implication is like America is shrinking, like the world is. Yeah, but on the other hand, the Rouge City is pretty fancy. It's, I mean, (laughs) yeah, you know, sunk some money into that, but it's sex city, right? Maybe it's just that's where the money's going. Excuse me, uh, blank chess, blank check, and guest. Uh, could I give you my thoughts because I just saw this movie for the first time? Sure, uh, Ben Bot, please relay thoughts. So, having been exposed to this cinema for the first time in a post-Trump world, I derived enjoyment from seeing all the future violence and pain, also the end of human civilization. Uh-huh. Okay, Ben Bot. Yes. Um, but th- what you connected because it was like a flight of fancy. It was like a thing that that could never happen, right? <laughs> Oh no, it's going to happen. Okay, Ben no, Bot. Don't explain the bit to him. Come on. He Ben Bot knows. <laughs> ben Bot, don't don't kill us, please, Ben Bot. I won't. No, the ro- robots aren't gonna kill us. We're gonna kill ourselves, right? Isn't that the uh and then all that's gonna be left is us. That's what you'd lost. Oh says. my god. Is this could you have a reading of this movie where the final AI killed all he, all humans, or does it have to be global warming and catastrophic climate change? I think it's catastrophic. I don't know. I think I mean, you could have that reading. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would take I it to the next level of darkness. That yeah, that they're the further descendants of uh, whatever so generation of, of AI. Right. Yeah. Also, I love my mommy. <laughs> Thank you, Ben Bot. <laughs> all right, so the movie commence producing. The movie starts. We should. We did. The movie starts with this weird little prologue. Mm-hmm. It well. opens with the sound of waves over darkness. True. Orga, first, orga waves. And you see the artificial intelligence crashes into it and yeah. it says AI, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's actually a funny title. 
Um, but yeah, it's a w- William Hurt. Well, no, I guess yeah, I guess there's some explanation. Isn't there like, a little Ben Kingsley narration? Yeah, over the, the Ben Kingsley, like the, yeah, the world the, has ended, right? Or, yeah, you yeah. Know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Amsterdam, Venice, and New York City. Mm-hmm. Those are the three cities we know we've lost. Mm-hmm. There's probably a couple more. And then we get the big hurt. Yeah, the big hurts in this one. Hobby, Professor Hobby. Um, I love him so much. I think he's such a good actor. I know we've talked about him a couple we times have. on this podcast. This was in his real dark career phase. Yes, yeah, uh, William Hurt. He was. I mean, I guess Lost in Space was his last box Big, office right. player, but I mean, he really, he hasn't, you know, he, whatever. He, it's like 10 plus years since uh, broadcast news, like, you know, since yeah. like and this, he was a thing. This probably seemed like, oh man, he's got like a choice supporting part in that Spielberg Kubrick movie. And then it didn't really, you know, I think he's very good in it, but it certainly didn't boost no, it wasn't, his signal it at all. It was an afterthought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it starts out with a monologue. Which I always, I kind of like when movies start like this. Like, I like when movies... Um, but they have, like, a thesis statement at the beginning. I like that. Yeah. But also, I like when movies submerge you with a character you know is peripheral. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to open with what is not the main character mm. and fully, like, like force you into this environment where it's like, here's, like, seven minutes of a guy who's got the and billing mm. and a bunch of, like, executives who don't have character names. Ken Long. Yes. He's in there. Uh, Matt Winston. Matt Winston's in there. Um, but it's just like, because you've seen the trailers, you know it's about Hilly Joel Osment as like a little boy. Right. And you know they're sort of talking about him. But it's just like, this isn't where this movie's going to live. We're going to put you in this place. This is like sort of a table setting. And then your story's going to start. Um, it kind of feels to me, I mean, this movie is like a fairy tale. It's like an adult fairy tale. Sure. That's certainly part of its conception, or at least that's built into the... Uh, theme of the movie. Um, yeah, it is a bit of a it's it's a picaresque journey. It is it's an episodic. He has little adventures, right? Yeah, that yeah, are yeah. all moral tales, except they're all sort of warped, I guess. Right. But like, it's much. I mean, have you guys read Pinocchio the book? Pinocchio never read it. The original. Okay, it's very, 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 very upsetting and dark. It's, yeah, it's right. a nasty book. I read it. I was obsessed with it as a child because it was so creepy, and uh, you know, it's very, it's very heavy on the morality. Like, it's like trying to imprint on you, like. You have to be a good little boy who right. listens to his parents, but uh, but it's the same thing. He goes on these little adventures, and something horrible <laughs> happens to him yeah. each time, and he can't die because he's a puppet. So they like hang him from a tree, oh. you know, the thieves, the little animals, right. yeah, yeah. And then he just hangs from the tree forever until someone finds him because he can't die. That's how that book ends. No, that's like in the middle of the oh, damn book. Really? <laughs> it's it's a really no at the, at the end of the book, the blue fairy. Right, turns right, right, right. Well, yeah, of course, right. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> well, and the end, uh, Pinocchio has the whole Pleasure Island thing, which is yes. very similar to Rue City. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Which is yeah. why I think uh, uh, Kubrick was obsessed with that idea. Uh, what do you make of the beginning, David? The uh, you know, it's it's hurt laying out this concept of like what, what you know, well, imbuing emotion into a artificial intelligence. I've right. always been really interested in artificial intelligence, and um, are robots ever going to be people? And like, do robots deserve? rights once they reach a certain level of intellectual or cognitive or emotional sophistication. And I think what watching the movie, I think I wanted to see it because it's called AI, artificial intelligence. So I was like, oh, it's going to be an action movie about basically philosophy of mind. Mm-hmm. And the hurt scene makes you feel like that's they're going to double down on that. But you really can't, I don't think there's much in this movie about artificial intelligence, really. It's not really no. a philosophical movie about artificial intelligence. No. I feel like that's just the conceit for talking about 
it is not a complicated look at yeah at the sort of moral implications. And, make- and it is more of a fantasy movie with sci-fi trappings than it is a science fiction movie. Like once you right. get past Whereas, the initial wh- table setting, right, it becomes a lot more philosophical. And like I said before, yeah. there's not much attention paid to making everything makes the tech makes sense. no. They're like, right the because makes Jude, sense. Jude Law. Like. Yeah, I mean. I guess it gets into stuff about like but yeah Jude Law's character has a personality, feelings, and emotions, and drive. Right? Yeah, he does have a lot of this. Feels stuff. like, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, and that's one of the fundamental weird. <laughs> one of the things that's so weird about this movie is, I could see people falling in love with Jude Law's robot. I could see people falling in love with Teddy. Like, yeah, Teddy's pretty. He's got Teddy's a, pers- a good-looking guy. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah you know, like it, he seems at. He's you got know, a lot of character. I, in that it's not an original face. point, but like relative to the humans in this movie, like sure. I would much rather spend the rest of my life with Jude Law and Teddy than with Monica and Professor Hobby. Yeah, and, and um, Monica's jerk husband. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> but David is so weak. Like the well, Uncanny he's... Valley stuff is so bad with him. Yeah, it's like. No one's ever gonna fall like, no one's ever gonna fall in love with you, dude. I like, was, <laughs> like you're so you weird. You want to take him aside? Like, and, come on, man. Well, just and, and, back and, off. Take it easy, right? And but I feel like that's what I mean. And when you get into like the real deep stuff in the movie, it's like, well, all every child is awkward. Every human is awkward, and yeah. we're probably all unlovable, like relative to a teddy bear with a heart of gold who's like a newfangled Jiminy Cricket. But there's just something about. When you think about it on the level of, like, really just take it on the surface level. Okay, this guy's, Professor Hobby's son died, so he does what any scientist would do. He builds an army of robots <laughs> that are exactly like his son for other people to fall in love with. Yeah, right, He's, like, yeah, yeah. spreading his son yeah. out into the world for everyone to love. And I'm well, he had the tr- best there's son. There's yeah. got to be a parallel somewhere in Western religious tradition. I can't think of it right now about a father figure sending his son out for all of humanity to fall in <laughs> like, love with. Like his a sacrifice, like a, but like I know it's there. And he I know waves it's there. The wind. Yeah. I just don't have time to think of it right now. I can't quite put my finger on it. But, I think Scientology deals with that a little yeah, bit, right? Totally. Okay, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, Scientology so he, has all the airplanes that were in the volcanoes that blew up, right? And it's like all the bits yeah, yeah. came out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. kind of like that, too. So, Hobby's son ha- Hobby had a son. His son's name was David. David dies. Oh. Hobby's like, well, I do want to. All right, I want to make a robot that people can fall in love with, and then because we're not, there's not a lot of babies around, and we right. need. We've we been need... told like you can only have one child, right? Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. And he sympathizes, one imagines, with the parent, of the right, childless yeah. parent, right? right? So he wants to provide something that would maybe replace it, I guess. And then he, but and this is where the stage setting gets so specific, and you think that the movie's going to be making an intellectual argument, which is he says, "I want to." What does he say? He says, "I want to make a robot that can love." Right. There's no reason. I'm just thinking as a business, as a business, right. there is no reason could- for the customer. There's a reason to tell the customer, yes, this robot's son actually loves you, right. but there's no reason to build that into the robot. First of all, it doesn't really make sense to me that a robot could love, but putting that aside, right. it's a burden. There's no reason yeah, well, for the, the robot, right? in terms of user experience, yeah. as the parent who needs a kid, there's no reason for that robot to actually love as long as it passes this weird emotional Turing test of, this child is acting as if it loves me. I'm feeling sure. the love. The marketing, yeah, of course we're going to say a robot that can love, but when I'm in the best... When I'm Professor Hobby hanging out with my scientists, goofing off, sticking pins in robots and telling them to take off their clothes, it's like, listen, we're going to tell them this robot can love. I don't fucking know if this thing can love. It's a robot. But the point right, is, the, like, that, 
that's you, what you set Joe up this is supposed to ex- to exude right, right? Like, exactly so there's the imitator yeah. the guy who sort of reflects you back at yourself and the, and the scene with the fir- with his first client is so emotionally intimate yes and mirrors he and, and he, he mirrors the imprinting thing because you notice when right. he places her on the bed he has his fingers on the back of her neck that's which true. is where Monica has put right. her fingers on the back of so it's you all this turn on the love yeah love right so button. it's kind of like the Jude Law character is kind of kind of undermines the Professor Hobby's obsession with making a robot that can love. And with David, this robot, who... I feel like in the end, I can only take this movie as an emotional movie because intellectually, it just starts collapsing in on it. It's it's just so... There's so much going on and you can't... I don't think you can have a single intellectual response to the arguments or the logic of this movie because it is really just churning up the deepest, darkest Freudian yeah. stuff. It's not going to make sense. Yeah. Do you know well, what I mean? Yeah, like, well, yeah. It's like fairy tales where it's like we need to find a way to communicate to children these things that scare them. Right. So let's like use fantastical elements right. and like wackadoo storytelling right, right. to get at some deeper truth that will not be understandable in didactic terms. Yeah, yeah. And right, the movie right. operates on that kind of logic. But like, so I have my own. But it's a fairy tale for movie. adults, right? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Is it a right. fairy tale for adults? Like, is it trying to help you understand? Like, what's it trying to help an adult understand? Well, that's right? that's I think where this movie failed at oh, the time of its release. Oh, to me, is it because fail at all. no, at right. the time of its release, I'm saying the the reason why people didn't respond to it well at the time is because I think they went, oh, it's Spielberg doing sci-fi and the lead's a child. He's better at childlike wonder than anyone else. Right. Sure. He does these movies where kids and adults alike, the kids. See it. The adults are brought back to their childhood. Yeah, it's it's unifying. Right, right. And then he made this movie that's like not for anyone, and he's not trying to help anyone. He's exploring his own sense of mortality. Right. Sure. And what's so awesome about it in terms of Spielberg is like with Elliot and E.T., like those kids are constantly having their mind blown and their eyes are opening up. And and in this movie, David is so obsessed with getting his mother's love. He doesn't give a flying fuck if he's at a <laughs> flesh fair s- no. murder circus. He's not really taking it if in. If he's yeah. in Rouge City surrounded yeah. by all this decadence. <laughs> He's so monomaniacal when it comes to his mother's right. love that all he has no wonder. He's a completely boring. Right. He just wants one, to be home in this boring apartment making coffee for mommy. Right. And right. what's so sad is like, no mom is going to love such a boring well, right. ass kid. This kid doesn't care. Right, I mean, right. like, you so, know what I mean? Like, go out in the world, learn some stuff. Yeah, have right. Like, have a conversation. Learn how to have a conversation, you know? Like, so when your mom, you know, it's like, I had the craziest night last night, mom. I went to the circus and they were tearing up all these robots and I got really scared. They almost poured yeah. acid on me. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. But it's love without, con- the, the yes. thing that's so bleak about the movie is, or maybe this is the, maybe this is the, maybe this is the, the moral is like a love you know, it's like love is active. Love is a verb, right? It's not just a state of being that once you achieve it, then you're in love and then you have fulfillment. Like right. this kid's life is so empty. He literally doesn't care that all of humanity has been destroyed. He, or you know he, what I mean? He doesn't like, really get it. I mean, yeah. I like the way he says, and we're jumping ahead. I have a lot of things to say, but when later when he's like, maybe it'll be like that day in the amphibicopper. Right. It'll last for right, 2000. Right, right, like right. that's how he can think about it, right? right? He, he has these... One thing that's interesting about it is like there's a lot of tenderness in this movie from other robots like Jigolojo, like Teddy a lot because Teddy is David's protector, right? And he really goes above and beyond to yeah, keep yeah, this yeah. kid happy. Yeah. I need to find David. Have you seen David? <laughs> Where, Where is, is David? 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 Yeah. He's <laughs> taking me to David. I love that he gives Teddy the least appealing voice in the world. It's <laughs> yeah. gives Teddy the voice of like a cigar shop no, it's owner a, yeah, yeah. from like 1920s. Where's yeah. David? I'm looking for David. Yeah. 
Uh, Jack Angel is the voice actor. He was like a veteran voice actor. Voice of Chunk in Toy Story 3. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which one's Chunk? He's, a, he's like the rock guy who's got the two faces. One's angry and one's happy. Uh, yeah. He's maybe got three lines. I know the entire voice cast of the Toy Story. We know. We know you do. Um, so, but like, so part of, to me, I, I, I love religious shit. And I, to me, robot stories are always about, you know, human or often mm-hmm. about humanity mm-hmm. trying to talk to God, right? Yeah. And like, the horrifying thing about all religion is is that religion is trying to answer is why why did you make me right like why do I exist and right. so like when she imprints on him she's making him right yeah I mean obviously Hobby has a role in that too in his own fucked up role well it's but, nature versus nurture like they're each one half of that but she's activating him for this supposedly two way connection she's is the, the idea right. that's right, right. Yeah. but of course like you're saying like, how on earth could she like she obviously feels like pity for him and she. She's attached to him, but she doesn't love him. How could she love? He's, he's bizarre. He's like a pet that keeps fucking up, right? He's sort of like a dog, like almost, right? Like all of their arcs together are just him making a mistake and her being like, I get it. Look, you're a weird robot. Like, you know, I'm not going to hold you responsible. Well, I think the bigger thing is that like, she's- Does she love him? I no, guess she's my, in right? love with being a mother and she misses that sensation. Right, and right, just being right. able to go through the motions with him is starting to activate that thing in her. I mean, you see even right before she activates him that she's still creeped out by him. Right. But that she's feeling fulfilled in that way. Like that itch is being scratched and she needs that because at the beginning of the movie, she's like a broken person. Like she has no reason anymore, you know? Yeah, the something about the imprinting also- feels weird to what me. Are the, what are the, I want to find the, vo- the, the, the words. Oh, I have, them in my, I have them in my notes. Oh, yeah. Are you what, ready? What note-taking. Get Ben Bot ready, because I'm going to imprint him on you, Griffin. Are you okay, ready? Ben Bot, activate? Yes. I okay, mean, here we go. Put my finger in the small of his neck. Cirrus, Socrates, particle, decibel, hurricane, dolphin, tulip, Griffin, Ben, Griffin. <laughs> now say it. You're my mommy. Say it. You're my mommy. Okay. Boom. There you, there you Thank go. Thank you, Ben Bot. Can I come hug you? No, Ben, you, ben Bot, you have to produce the what show. What did those words Just keep mean, engineering, mommy? Ben Bot. Okay. 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 Uh, and, uh, you know, I watched but, this. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I watched this I'm with sorry. Joanne, and she asked the question, like, why doesn't the dad imprint? Like, why is this so... One on one thing, right? Which is right. like to, it's just sort of inherent to the. Well, what's incredible is as soon as as soon as she imprints him, yeah, and he, and he hugs her, and then in the next scene, the dad is so over this kid. And wants <laughs> He's him like, all right, so far out of the house, and she's so into him. Right. You know what I mean? It's a very kind of weirdly reduct, reduct Freudian. Yeah, I mean yeah. heavily, yes. you know, um, and. Uh, but why? This Wait, is what I don't understand. Again, that scene where he's like, "Change me," and she's like, ah, "No, right. no, thank yeah, you." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, that shot of him in the mirror, in the 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 glass door, where uh, David like turns to look at her, and you see his face. Yeah, all it's all fractured. Refracted. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! But it's but, also it's very Oedipal because it's like his love is so extreme beyond the average love that a mother uh, that a child has for a mother. Right. Because it's like he's designed only to love a mother. And so that's like I think a threat to the father once he's activated, which is just like okay, this isn't just like a kid who needs his mom. This is a kid whose entire raise on death. No, he is obsessed sure. obsessed with her, and he'll never grow out of it. That's right. all he will ever. Yeah, well, be. that's and the real why... creepy thing about David is he can't grow up. I mean, right, right. That's sort of the perversion right. of childhood. Like to you're stuck extreme. forever. Right. It could God. be a year. It could be two thousand years. And so that I love that man playing God stuff with you know fucking Frankenstein. Onwards, right. Right. Like that thing of like yeah, they did this thing for some purpose. They thought they understood, but then like they didn't. 
consider the implications of imbuing consciousness on something, right? But also for a filmmaker who's known for like being able to create a sense of childlike wonder, and not just in his movies, but the stuff he produced and the fucking cartoons and everything, and was like, yeah, no, people sure. have complained was infantilizing pop culture. To make a movie about how being a child forever is a curse <laughs> right. Is, right. is fascinating. And that the only wonder in the movie is, is, a, is horror wonder. Yeah, well, yeah. that's the thing. Like, right? the, you see this Spielberg face that we talk about a lot, you know, the sort of the long shot of someone reacting to something before you see it when they're looking at the moon rising, right. which is this gorgeous image that's, right. of course, like a nightmarish image and things like that. Or the, his, obviously, you know, that freaking blue fairy statue he loves so yeah. much. Right, yeah. But, but yeah. Haley Joel is definitely, like, the most haunted Spielberg He's kid. He's great say. in it. I, I think it's a really wonderful yeah. No, it's performance. Cr- yeah, it's amazing. He doesn't blink. Yeah. Uh, at any point in the movie, like he, do a lot he of underwater shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, he has this weird waxy makeup. I would, I would. How? What do you think his experience? How do you think Spielberg explained to him what the movie was about? It's or a, do you think he did or didn't? Or it's just like you just need to act like a weirdo? But that was the thing with him at the time. I mean, you have to remember, like that buzz was like after Sixth Sense, they were like, this seems like the kid gets it. Like they right. didn't just trick a good performance right. out of him. It seems like he's getting it. And then when he would do interviews and stuff, he wasn't like precocious where it felt like a trained monkey he was just this very intellectual kid uh-huh. he just seemed like one of those grown-up kids who like wore slacks and new balance and <laughs> yeah. button downs right, and right. Like, seemed like at a party he might be like at a dinner party he might still be there and like uh-huh. he'd be able to like make right, conversation right, right. with the grown and then i think he hit teenagehood and it was like it was, it was a disaster right and he's like never been able to play an adult convincingly which right. is so bizarre huh. but his father because he always plays like slackers and sort of like he plays like gross sort of side guys now, right huh. yeah but he plays very like infantilized kind of men now um his father, I think, was like an acting teacher. Mm-hmm. And so it just feels oh. like he had this real sense of like breaking down character psychology. Yeah. But it never felt like he was parroting stuff. Like he actually got it. But what's so amazing about. Oh, can I just pr- say something that I yeah. just found on his Wikipedia page that is a fascinating nugget? His father said that when Osmond was learning to speak, his father deliberately avoided using baby talk when communicating with his son. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. He imprinted him only with. <laughs> Real words. Go ahead. Then. Well, what's Sorry. what's awesome about his performance is he's a child. He's he was a child. The actor was sure, a child. Yeah, he was uh, playing or twelve. Uh, playing yeah. a fake child built by adults as an idealized child. Right. Who the viewer has to come to recognize is a sociopath. Yeah. Sure. Right. Yes. Yeah. And subvert every innocent. I mean, all the f- famous shots of him like laughing out of the blue, and it's like really, really yeah. horrifying, and all that stuff. But even the more subtle stuff, like the intensity of his desire to be loved, yeah, right. But but that is a synthetic. I think it's a synthetic desire. Well, no, right. It, it, I well, mean, because everything's about it. and like the thing, his his um, he copes like in a way that's supposed to manipulate you, like when you know. Francis O'Connor, uh, the mom, what's her name? Mo- Monica. Yeah. Is going to leave him in the woods. The like snap from his normal sort of pliant, right, like, right. what are we doing, mommy? Right, I'll right, lay out right. the blanket for you. Right, right. To like utter devastation. Total panic. Yeah. Yes. Right. Is so instant. I mean, he and he plays it very, very well. Like he makes it feel like it's a, you know, a switch has been. Flipped. And again, with the robots at the end with the hair when he's right. like, it's so indignant. Yeah. Right. It's a survival thing. Right. I mean, that's like his nourishment is he needs love. And if you threaten to take that away from him, he goes into like, you know, like like warrior mode to get what he needs. Yeah, you, this. <laughs> I'm starting to think this movie is intellectually incoherent because 
intellectually incoherent. Yeah. Go on. Well, the only reason he wants to be a real boy is because he has told himself that is the only way Monica will love him. Yeah, that's just a, right? a, a logical thing he thinks, like or, like a logic leap of logic he makes. It's like, well, what if, if I was a real boy? Because he thinks the if problem is that. The right? tragedy is if he had just acted a little more normally. <laughs> right. If he just had And a I will say this. This was a huge problem in the movie where I was like, come on, guys. If the techs, after they have the spinach eating contest and his mouth, right. face starts to melt, and then they open him up and start sucking the spinach out in front of the family? Yeah. No. A little weird. Do, do that off-site. Because <laughs> yeah. how are you ever going to— Don't gonna... remind them that he is right. a robot. And then he's yeah. like, don't worry, Mommy, it doesn't hurt. It's like, yeah. okay, you just lost her right there. And there's that Because that's really crazy. She's holding his hand, and then she lets his yeah, hand go. Right, exactly. just sort of hanging in the so air. So if he had been— oh. She, no, she could have—the whole point of the—I think the whole point of, of Hobby's business was— we're going to program a robot to love a human. Right. What that means, we never really learn. But once that's done, yeah, humans are going to be loving robots all every all day long. <laughs> so he doesn't have to be real in order to be loved. He just has to be better at acting like a normal kid. Sure. You know they what I mean? They don't give like, him a good sense of acting. Maybe that's, that's the problem. Right. Gigolo Joe is the opposite don't side like of that. Right. Right. He has no real love, but he knows exactly how to make people feel and people like they are, are Right, and people are falling in love with him. Right. right? Because Gigolo Joe is a smooth operator. So that's what I don't understand logically. Okay. There's no. I'm really getting Are you down just to the level to understand of the logic of Hobby's decision of like his creation. Yeah, because to me that's the what the movie's about, right? I was yelling this, uh, yeah, at someone recently uh, when we were talking about the movie. Like, the why do humans exist? We're stupid. We destroy everything. Right. We 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 act irrationally because we are imbued with all of these emotions and right? selfishly. We we act selfishly. We act. You know what is love except like something that ties you to someone who might hurt you and or die and or you know. But also they're a good thing. You know. But you know what I mean. Like there's all this irrationality. That's why we get angry at God and say like, why did you cast us out of the Garden of Eden? Right. Like isn't that? Well, I also think this is a big Garden of Eden movie because I think the difference between Gigolo Joe and David is that like Gigolo Joe hasn't bitten the apple and David has. What? That, sure. That right. Gigolo Joe knows everything and understands it intellectually, but isn't burdened with having to feel the existential weight of it. He understands it, whereas David has this thing that he cannot reconcile. Is and it, that thing and is the need to be loved by his mom. Yeah, and, well, ju no, and just like, the depth of feeling and loneliness. He, he, he has an, a, an equation that can't be balanced, right? Which is like how you might think about emotion, right? It's like, he, I mean, obviously it's extreme, but like he, he can't be fulfilled because he's been imbued with something that you can't easily fulfill, right? I don't know. And like, obviously then there's this idea that he's being seeded with something that grows. And then when we meet this consciousness many thousands of years later... It's evolved into something more recognizable, but they're right? very like he's sort of like a they're very caveman. analytical when they talk about everything, though. You know, they are. I mean, they're robots. the future AI. You mean, yeah, right. I, I think yes. they are compassionate towards him. They're like 100%. deeply compassionate yeah. towards him. Yeah, they are. That's which, true. Actually, which you don't in fact, see, you know, that's interesting because those robots. I mean, if you're just looking at how you would react to all the AI or the robots in this movie, those are the only. Those are like the only characters in the movie that feel like. Sensitive, yeah, they're sensitive, and they try to interact with him as the blue fairy as well. Right. Like, yeah, they yeah. try to yeah, they yeah. try to meet him on his level. Right. They get it. Whereas the other robots, I mean, Teddy, like I said, is compassionate in a weird sort of way, but in right. a more you know, it's easier to right. It's like way. okay, that's his algorithm. He he's, has to serve right. his he is, master. He is right. Nice. right. Hey Griffey, uh, yes, Benbot. I have a question about Teddy. Okay, uh, Benbot, commence question. Oh, great. So. Why doesn't he tell jokes where the setup is, this is a thing that is happening, and that reminds me about this other thing that happened another time? 
I don't get Benbot's bit. Is Benbot? Are you? Um, do you think that Teddy is the the character from Ted Two and the Ted movie? Uh, yes. Okay, so Benbot, this is a different uh, Teddy. It looks is, similar. Looks similar. Uh, animation's about at the same level. I would say this Teddy is much more. This is not a Seth MacFarlane Teddy, Benbot. Why didn't we see the Teddy fuck a human? Okay, because Benbot, that's a different. That's a different okay. franchise. Does he use like an apparatus in those movies? Yeah, he fucks her sex. with a parsnip. Okay, it's Ugh. the worst joke in the serious? movie. He says out loud, "I fucked her with a parsnip." <laughs> <laughs> okay, Benbot. Funny part. Benbot, he's laughing. Okay. Um, yeah, that movie should go die in a fire. <laughs> I've never seen it. I, I saw like twenty minutes of Ted Two on HBO once, and I, I wasn't fond of it. Yeah. Um. This is this is my rationalization for for all, all that stuff. The this sort of Gordian knot we're trying to untangle here. Um. I I think Professor Hobby wanting to imbue a robot with love, which is an abstract concept, and it's like how do you right, define this right, fucking thing? Right, right. Is just like man's folly, right? Right. Yes, it's, I it's, agree. It's okay. just that right, he's yeah. accomplished so much, and it's like the uncanny valley. That's the thing he knows they haven't done. What's the gain of that? Will right. it feel any different from the human side? I don't no. know, but that's the thing he right, wants to right, try to. Right. Like the fact that when he stabs the woman in the hand, she feels the emotional response he wants, and she feels the physical response she wants, but she knows it's because of that. Right. And he wants it to just be an organic, innate process rather than a calculation, right? right? So that's why that happens. But the thing is, David is programmed only to love, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Gigolo Joe is, like, programmed to respond and react to. It's the difference between being programmed to love and being programmed to be lovable. Right. Uh, David is programmed to have love. Right. And programmed to never have that end. Which is like, you know, it's it's the classic thing of like, oh, wow, you know, he's way too into me. I'm freaked uh-huh. out now. Yeah, right. right. You yeah, know, yeah. Like David, no yeah. He's, yeah, he's David has no chill. Thirsty. He's David's, yeah. David's a fucking walking 11-year-old 60-pound right. thirst trap. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Right? And so that love is terrifying to her, which is why why she's freaked out by him. Because he's operating only based off of that. Wait, is that what a thirst trap is? A thirst trap? Is, is, is she not the, I don't know what thirst trap actually means. Thirst trap is when you're like putting out the bait, you want people to be thirsty. You're making it known, you know? Yeah, I thought that it's like she's kind of the thirst trap, you know. Jude Law is. Jude no, Law is a, a real trap. thirst trap. Yeah. With his so, soft shoe dancing in the puddles. But but I think, yeah, I think the thing is that they they program that into him without any sense of how that would actually play out. As often happens in technology. It's like, this should work. Right, and right, you make right. it and you're like, oh, we didn't realize that well, if then, this, then that. I right. like that when we do meet Professor Hobby again, you think like finally his salvation, right? They can, they can figure right. this out for him, you know? Right. And he instead is just like, you know, my son was one of a kind. You're really interesting. Uh, it's crazy how you're doing all <laughs> the shit you're doing. First of a we kind. did not see this coming. Anyway, right. I'm going to yeah. go get everyone. I'll be yeah. gone for 20 to 50 right. You want to go to a boardroom meeting? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they fucking turn him off or something? I mean, I guess yeah. you can't, but. Uh... But I, I think it is that, like, it, you know, there are some. Most movies are about love in one way or another, right? Mm-hmm. And love is, like, the most dominant and sort of powerful and cathartic human emotion. And Spielberg's an emotional filmmaker. And he's making a movie about the curse that is love. Right, but it's it's a fragment of love. Like, they haven't fully understood it, I think. It's well, a but, more of a devotion, right? Yes. Like, it's more of a... Well, it's a child's, like, understanding of love right. where you have these feelings and you don't know how to intellectualize them. And that's the problem is that he he is not able to intellectualize anything. He just needs a place to put this thing. That he has, and you there's know? like you know these yeah. weird moments where his love sort of takes the form of obedience, right? Like, like what does he want to do except sort of serve her? Except he wants to serve her emotionally. 
but like he can only do it by kind of acting out the motions of being a child. Like you know, there's just so many weird disconnects to yeah, what it, he's giving her and what I think they want him to give her, or, right? Or what like a substitute child could actually do. Well, he's like this incomplete line of code. He has a sense of wonder. Like he wants to yes. hear about Pinocchio. He wants to right. Like you know, there are things that he he likes watching them eat food. He likes like. He, he likes it, and he says he likes it, and you believe him. But at the same time, like, you know, all he can do is sort of mirror and, like, yeah, uh, be nice, be helpful, right? you know. I don't know. He yeah, has well, no, like, initiative or drive. Like, he doesn't well, do anything a kid does, which is, like, behaviorally, rationally, and you know, I don't know. I mean, there's that John Mulaney joke that I love about, like, you know, he wished someone had asked him as a kid why he did the things he did, where it's like, why did you put these this firecracker in this carton of eggs. And he would have said, like, I'm hungry, I'm horny, and I'm full of rage. And right. I, I don't know where to direct that, so that's why I did this. Like, But David essentially has one emotion, right? And everything else stems out of that. Like, when he has fear, it's fear of not being loved, right? That's the or only, being hurt. Right, right, that's the only sort of driving force he has. So it's like, he's he's an incomplete equation. Yeah. Um, And he just needs to keep on throwing shit at the wall to try to get back what he wants, which is, right. he's never going to get back what he wants. But ideally, right. The only right. way you could ever complete David's line of code successfully is to make a mommy robot that loved him as unconditionally and they could just infinite food back loop each other. <laughs> sure. Which right. is really? what, right, which is, I guess, kind of what they do in the final scene It's in kind the of movie. what they, they want. I think it's what they want. simulacrum to. of, yeah. Yeah. right. Yeah, yeah no, this movie is, makes no, no, no fucking you're sense. Right. That is what they give him at the end, right. They give him um, a Monica, but she's free of all human burden, right? And like, she, she has no memory, right. Or her husband. And she loves everything else. Right. And so, but then the, and then that's another thing that's so crushing about the movie is like, well, you know what, kid? It's not really Monica. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, he, right. That because he gets what he wants. In this but it's Monica all wrong. world, like the real Monica has a husband and another son, and that informs who she is, and that's right. who you originally wanted to love you. And now you just have this half roofied zombie, you know, right. like I mean, and I've always read the movies he's dying at the end of the movie like that he's yeah. his purpose has sort of been achieved so neither of them will wake up no that he and it's because they say like for the first time he dreamt right right, right. Like that you know right. like right that it's over that like the yeah. feedback loop has been closed finally but yeah like that's why i don't get although i understand like the idea that it's a happy ending it's not it's a it's a sad ending it's a very sad ending. i don't think it's i don't even know if it's sad i just feel like it's yeah, I guess it's sad implies, though, some human element to it. And I find it's this. A, it's a distressing ending, maybe. Yeah, almost, distressing. You know, I, think it's of, disturbing. Yeah, I think it's disturbing. I think it's extremely, really disturbing. Yeah. Right? So I think it's like a Twilight Zone episode. It's like a be careful what you wish for thing where people talk about wanting to have this right, like, right, right, connection right. to their Spielberg y right. childhood of like right. the sense of love driving you and not having to bring adult analysis into stuff and he's like that would be a fucking nightmare like you'd be right. trapped well, in a hellscape it's, yeah sure. it's and like what ending... teddy says when he says we are in a cage yeah when, when they're trapped under the ferris wheel in the amphibicopter and he's so happy because he's just going to stare at the blue fairy <laughs> until teddy is so real. deadpan and about te- it teddy's like uh fuck this <laughs> this really sucks dude right like we're in a cage like you, you ha- will break. you have to sort of right. kill the child inside of you partially in order to be functional because if you try to remain a child living in the world, the world will destroy you. All right. And if you try to leave, have your love just like exist unbridled without any chill, it will destroy you. And you know? also, if your only goal is to have somebody love you, like you're going to be impossible to love. You're unlovable. And, and right. you are going to not even be fully human. Yeah. You know, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's effed up. All right. It's I, really I, crazy. I want to get, I'm just going to 
we, we need to the plot. <laughs> we need to move forward. But do you like the performances of the pair? Frances O'Connor, who didn't it never happened. She was supposed no. to happen. Yeah, right she was in Bedazzled now. like the year before this. And yeah, she, she was in Bedazzled. She was in right. Mansfield Park. I mean, she's pretty right. good. Monica, she plays. Oh right, you okay. Know, uh, I, I like she, I like her. She's very selfish at the end there. You know, like yes. when she makes that decision. I yeah. like she she sells that well. Like that she she knows she fucked up. Like she knows she like probably shouldn't have you know turned this stupid kid's like love emotion on or whatever Impr- the imprinting. But she's yeah. too much of a coward to to yeah, just have him burn him up. Right. Yeah, like so. I, and like she's she's it's a nicely prickly performance. Yeah, you Sam, know? Sam Robards is he's he's an okay jerk. I, I think he's fine. It's he's he he feels a little one dimensional to me. Yeah. There's even like at the beginning, he's got to make a meal out of explaining the robotics to her. They give him like a big, like half a page dump of exposition about the technology, and he kind of can't make that sing. Uh, he's he's Lauren Bacall and Jason Robards' son, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, but he was also, I mean, he didn't have as much buzz to make it happen, but I think certainly getting this big of a part in a Spielberg movie seemed like it was going to push him, and then it didn't happen for him either. But he has he, to play he's a, a good Broadway actor. I mean, he has to play a. An asshole, right? Yeah, he, it's not. He's a playing a human in this movie, which yeah. means by extension, you're playing an empty shell, right? A monster. Right. It's a pretty underwritten the, the role. The kid, right. Jake Thomas, is like too kid for me. He's he doesn't quite hit for me. Oh, see, I like it because he's too kid. He's like very I would hate kid. that performance in a different movie. I think for this movie, you need someone who's acting so I much do like, like a movie. His shit. Little leg braces. I did. That. Yeah, his little plastic things. <laughs> I like that they're kid colored like, right. they yeah, look yeah. like they're for a yeah, kid yeah. like let right. me cheer you up about your paralysis or whatever the hell it is well, I'm green. Um, what do you think of the scissors scene that's the only other thing because like that's the thing where when you're watching it, you're like why the fuck would he do this like surely there's some piece of his yeah, code yeah that does feel right but I mean I think it's a Spielberg is trying to illustrate like Whatever you think about, like, laws of robotics, right? Like, they they fucked them up by making this weird thing. Right, because right? the like, love overrides every right, other like, command. It's, yeah. right. it's messing things up. But, of course, like, why the hell would he? It's, like, it's almost too obvious a sort of uh, situation that you could take the wrong way. And he's got he, that sort he's of He's literally a creepy shot. kid yeah. standing yeah. over your phone. Right, right. Well, and when, when you literally have her, like, toss uh-huh. over in bed so that her eyeball uh-huh. is right next to the blade, it's like, you're like, milking it a little uh-huh. bit, Stevie. I agree. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but you got to get that strand. You know, you got to get that strand of hair, that lock. Um, uh, other performances? I mean, it's like William Hurt's really good in it, in a small Jude role. Jude Law is fantastic. Oh, Jude Law rules. Yeah, we should talk about Jude Law. Well, no, we're moving. So, yeah, all okay. right. So then, you know, he he runs, he escaped. I mean, he well, he's evicted. He's right. made to go to the woods. Yeah. Right. And you immediately cut to these things, you know, like he and these other poor, sad, abandoned robots. Who also have a purpose, right? I mean, I guess it's only to survive, but like going yeah. to like the mountains of robot garbage and right. plugging their like hands and faces on. Blank you check know. host David, could I speak on that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Bimba. I'm glad that <laughs> with substantially less land on the planet, they're still dumping garbage in the woods. <laughs> uh, Benbot, I issue you 10 comedy points. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what, do you. What do you guys think of the, the flesh fair? The uh, the rising moon, Brendan Gleeson. I think all that stuff is boring. I mean, uh, I understand they have to have it to have something dynamic happen. I would uh, also say this is maybe the most troublesome part of the movie. I don't know. I do I like a lot of it. Agree. I think they're interesting ideas. Yeah. I think it goes on for way too long. It does go on for a little too long. And I mean, this is actually the thing I like the most is not so much the very obvious thing where the crowd turns on ben yeah. Brendan Gleeson, right? But before where the guy. Uh, who runs the flesh fair? Like the, the dad whose daughter is like, I think there's a little boy in this cage, right? right. He, and like that, he 
he admires like the craft of it so much that I don't know. Like there's something I like that philosophical difference that plays out between him and Gleason. Sure. Right. Gleason is more like, I mean, you almost kind of know what he means where he's like, this is fucking insane. Right. That someone would make this. Right. right. I'm like, now twice as motivated to kill it. This is a nightmare. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, right? Yeah. Like, right. why would you? Do, and the other. No, guy, Glee, I mean, Gleason's argument. Gleason actually makes. Some the most compa- the yeah. most compelling intellectual why. argument about why this is all so disturbing. It's like, I don't yeah, know they're going to start making robot kids so that we don't even have our own kids. Like, this is Doesn't horrible. he also sort of imply that it's maybe a robot for pedophiles? Doesn't that go, like, probably some sick fucking billionaire? I feel I like there's know. one he, line that makes it sound like it's maybe a sexual I never thing. thought of it that way, but, I mean, it's not the— I mean, I mean, the Nightmare of the Flesh Fair, I guess, is more, like, how it's playing out. Sure. I remember, especially at the time, which was, like, you know, the, the Bush era, it felt— Maybe too loaded because they're like a NASCAR crowd. Like you know, it's too on the nose. You it's know, pretty red state. It's very yeah. red state. They all have like yeah. cowboy hats and they're Grunge. all. It's a monster yeah. truck. Nineties rock. Nineties right. rock band is playing. Oh, new metal band. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, Future yeah, totally. Kid Rock is great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Future Kid Rock. I love watching like movies like this, and when they do that shot of like the weird kind of like Guar Megadeth like <laughs> costumed right. metallic uh-huh. armor uh-huh. guy. Just imagining Steven Spielberg have to go in the office and it's like, so here are the concepts for. Right. The metal band. Like, there was a day where that was like for here, 45 here minutes. Here are the Day Glow Shark Bikers. Right. <laughs> like, like, that's what he had to, he had to sign off on those he things. He was like, no, this is good. This I think is the cod piece should be sharper. <laughs> um, I, I really like the the moon thing. I like that inversion, especially because of how much that's part of like Spielberg's iconography with E.T. Yeah. and the Amblin logo. Oh, right. To yeah, make it into yeah. this like sense of dread. Yeah, you know? that's true. So I love that reveal. And then once again, I, I think them, this sort of capture is kind of interesting. I mean, I love the sort of just like the moonlit, dark kind of silhouettes of all these different mm. robots running away. Once I get to the flesh fair, it gets a little on the nose. It's a little much. I think the, the, the I like the robots. Like I like all the abandoned little guys. Yeah, you know, looking for their parts in and the I, pile and stuff. You know, but more yes. like when you when they like it's like here's a nanny bot who right. got too creepy or too right. old or whatever. Right. Like here's a weird war robot who's right. you know. I yeah. like all those little guys. I also I love Chris Rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know uh, he he goes a little too hard with like the voice cameos in this movie. Um, I do like that. I feel like in a lot of movies with robotics, there is a uniform robotic style. Oh sure, and right. It's this, all right. It's all like the old modes of the old fashion is right. But not yeah. only different that generations. Guy was like I was times Mecca of the year. So like, you know, he's got like weird right. spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not only are there like okay, clearly these are different generations, but also like well, different companies would make robots in different ways. Yeah, it's like phones. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Which yeah. I like. I love that. It's like okay, these are like clearly mechanical robots that have human features. These are ones that have human flesh mm-hmm. over a mechanical skeleton. Sure. Here's one where it's a TV screen. Like you know. Right. All the different levels of that. I do think this is a part of the movie where uh, Spielberg's reluctance to uh, turn the gears and do any sort of Spielberg set pieces actually is a detriment to the movie. Yeah, you almost wanted to have a little more fun. Because there's no tension because immediately the girl notices him there and then just becomes a conversation while this massacre is happening in the background. Yeah. But there's no sort of like daring escape. There's no like, is he going to get out in time? Well, there is a Teddy. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> right. Teddy being shot. Yeah. But otherwise, it's just kind of like a bunch of people talking while awful there's... shit happens in the background. Yeah, there's not a lot of dramatic tension. There's not to this movie. I like looking like, at the robots. I mean, like action wise, like yeah. But there's not a lot but of threat, now, I guess. Isn't that appropriate, given that according yeah. to the logic of this, maybe not though. I mean, they might as well just be burning toasters, right? I mean, th- yeah. these robots are not. Are the robots at the flesh fair? 
do they have artificial intelligence? Are they deserving? They have some, right? Our I respect. Mean, well, they some don't want to die. Yeah, some of them seem to have a lot of fear. But then, like the au pair robot. But they don't resist, as we're told. Right. Like, and that's what the woman in the crowd says when David resists. Right. He's like they it never plead robot, for their life. Right. Robots don't. Mechas don't plead for their life. Right. I think is what she says. Right. Right. But it's and a it's, weird delineation because like the Chris Rock robot is like cracking jokes, but he seems scared. Right. You it's know. True. Like he's right. like, oh, come on, man. You know. There's do a this. lot like, of. It's a little blurry about. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a little blurry about what is actually the. What is actually going on in these robots' brains? brains. Yeah. Right. Well, like you get to the nanny robot, who I think is like the most striking piece of imagery in the whole movie. For whatever reason, that always really stuck with me with the face and then all the gears behind uh-huh, it, uh-huh. and especially once the face starts melting off. Right. But she, her programming so clearly is based in just nurturing right. and caring yeah. for her child. Yeah. That even when she's being melted off, she remains a totally cool, calm, and collected. Face. I wish there was more of that because that is very interesting, and it would have played up this tension or this synchronicity between the roles that humans or humans identities whether it's professional or personal and how they will those identities are sustained through trauma or you know what i mean like the nanny robot i feel like is the is interesting like you say because oh right she can't freak out nannies aren't nannies are paid to not freak out right they are to calming yeah they're like uh they they keep the kids you know feeling safe like the thing that's simultaneously really interesting and really frustrating about this movie is that it kind of feels like what he's implying is that there are not laws of robotics in this movie. That, like, every robot's different. Right. And that they function in different ways, different purposes by different companies. And there aren't these overriding rules of, like, you know. So the pleading for the life thing, it doesn't feel like that's like, well, we all know that legally robots don't plead for their lives. Right, right. It's just we don't see that. And I think the other element to that is, even if they plead for their lives, the Chris Rock one is sort of joking about it, and it feels like it's just, like, well, he's programmed to do that. The the love element to David makes it feel more palpable. Like that's sure. that's the whole thing is for whatever reason humans respond differently to David. They see him in the cage and right. they go, "That has to be a real boy." And even after he scans him, he's like, "What what the fuck's going on?" Why would right. you do it? What's right. the purpose? And of it's it? not right. just yeah. the level of external craft because he looks very human, but so does the woman in he William still looks Hurt's. Waxy. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 There's just something there. There's like a terror in his eyes. You know. Right. Which gets yes. into like yeah. I mean it's like the different like what makes a good actor versus a bad actor like something just seems believable or it uh-huh. doesn't you right. know and this kid is just like the best actor they've ever seen yeah he's a good actor yeah like, that's, that's part of it yeah although you know if you have him at your home he might walk in on you in the bathroom like you know yeah he has he's not that chill no chill do you guys believe in true artificial intelligence do you think that'll ever happen. I can't wrap my mind around it. I really, really? can't. Like, I can't conceive of it. I think really? it will. You I do? try not to think about it too much because it freaks me out. Like, if I try to actually run through uh-huh. what would need to happen and the logic of it, it freaks me out. But I kind of just can't believe we wouldn't ultimately get to that point. The only way I think we honestly don't get to that point is if humanity ends, like, prematurely. Mm-hmm. I just don't really. Yeah, I can't wrap my brain around it. It. it it would just be us programming something, right? I just don't, I don't get, I can't, like, I get that the, I could probably read more about this, about how it would be on that, but I'm just like, it would be us, put, you know, making a million different, like, levers to press, right, in inside a robot's code. Well, it would have to get to, like, the robots making robots kind of thing, you know? Right. I think. I don't get it. I think what I'd, I... I don't get it. I think what I, I, Like, I can't, I can't wrap my brain. I'm not kidding. I can't either, which is why I just go, it must happen, because I can't think about it. Like, it stresses me out too much to even, like, dig into it. So you're just assuming it's a given at some point? Yeah. Just right. like, the, I have to accept the space is infinite, even though if I think about that, I lose R- my mind. Right. 
Like I would as a child when I was like a lonely little like David robot in my bed, I'd like sit up and I'd look at the ceiling and I'd just be like, okay, so just imagine there's a rocket ship and it just keeps going fucking right. forever. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I'd go insane. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Insane. And I'd like scream and like claw at the walls. Right. Like, what a weird kid. Yeah, I was David. God, I'd, I'd fucking leave you in the woods. Yeah, my parents tried. <laughs> yeah. And I went to Mr. <laughs> Dr. No and they told me where my right. parents Okay, so whatever. you know, Fuck. his yeah. safety response bonds him to Jiggle Joe. Like his, right? Like that's all that's happening there. Just grab onto yeah. somebody and don't R- let go. Like, keep me safe. So right. they. It's amazing that Jiggle Joe doesn't enter until 55 minutes. Into he's this great. I mean, and we should. Yeah. I guess at this point, we've already seen his. We've had his, his introduction, introduction is the murder thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, his introduction is the, the start of Act Two. Right, they, yeah. So David is. You see David receding in, in Monica's mm-hmm. rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then crappy over. And then over black, you hear a woman say, I'm afraid. Right. And Jiggle says, You're afraid that I'm going to hurt you? Um, she's literally afraid of his robot penis. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this she doesn't want to know what really, he's got in there. I, I mean, I know we keep saying it, but like, imagine if Steven Spielberg didn't make this movie. <laughs> yeah. And somebody else made this movie. They and, they were, just, and they were like, what's the backstory of this movie? And he'd be like, well, I fucking hate Steven Spielberg. And I wanted to make the least, I wanted to make a movie that people thought was a Spielberg movie. And then when you spend more than two seconds thinking about it, you realize this isn't. This is a it's about how all Spielberg annihilating bullshit. annihilating yeah. argument against this asshole's entire <laughs> career. And Spielberg yeah. did that to himself. Yeah, yeah, right. That's why I feel like that's what makes. I mean, I've always thought that Spielberg obviously is like very like must understand something about humans if he can make these movies that we respond so powerfully to. Yes. But I always felt like I don't know. He seems kind of like Ron Howard. Like, is he really interesting? Has he really read Kierkegaard? Is he just a robot that <laughs> yeah, has a right, program exactly. to understand how to right. evoke that response? I am programmed to make humans love me yeah, by my movies. I will make movies to make you right. love he me. Why not? Child will induce love. Yeah, yeah, but this movie kind of makes me feel like not that he's self hating, but that he ha- that um yeah I don't know. Anyway, I, we, you don't have to put that well, in. You is- were you were still doing the plot summary. No, we're I, keeping that in. I just feel like Steven's. This you is the movie. Need where, to cut that out. No, Ben. Okay. I feel like this is the movie where I'm like, Steven Spielberg, like, might be one of the most interesting people in America. I, I'm like, with you, baby. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Oh yeah. Well, and yeah. here's an interesting thing: is after this movie, and now he's guys on studio, he can do whatever he wants. Right. He does so few classic Spielbergy movies. He's doing a lot of different genre exercises. When he goes to do something like Indiana Jones Four, it's a disaster, and he clearly can't. Get back to the thing. Yeah, he he has trouble slipping into you know his classic vibe. He does really? like he yeah. more makes adult dramas. You know, now. His best movies post right. this are Minority Report, Munich, and uh, and well, Lincoln's more of a classic Spielberg movie. And British, but he's back but in also, it now. It's austere. Like he's no, he's yeah, austere right. he's adult now finally evolved into yeah. he can make more of his like classic Spielberg or whatever. Right. But it is this sort of like yeah, like kind of darker or austere. Well, there's a better word for this. Like I don't know, slightly more. A world weary tone. I yeah, guess, mm-hmm. is the best mm-hmm. way. And it's it's someone struggling to find the best in humanity, yeah, rather than right, trying right. to like project to everyone like we're all gonna make it. Oh right, because yeah, like yeah. Bridge of Spies is yeah very yeah. much a movie about like one decent the guy's man like, well, can we do. We don't a lot. have to follow the rules, right? Right. And it's like, well, then why else do we have the rules? And it's like, I don't know. And he's like, no, I think we should have them. You know, and like but, that yes. those weird little yeah. But the key to that, and I think this of, is yeah. sort of what you're getting at, Reese, is that like. He got blamed so much, has been blamed so much over the decades for, like, killing adult cinema. Right. Because Jaws created the blockbuster. Right, right, right. And then it was, like, he and Lucas kind of perpetuated this thing where it all became genre exercises. Genre got elevated to high art. Those were the movies that changed the entire theatrical model, right. you know, of how things right. played, of opening Certainly. weekend being the thing of merchandising, blockbuster, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And it feels like it happens—I mean, this, I think, is the big fulcrum point, 
in his career, and certainly now we're at the other end of it, where it's like when he tries to make a Spielberg movie in a traditional, like, Amblin-y sense, it doesn't really work. It's the BFG, you know? Mm-hmm. BFG's a good example. But when he tries to make the movies that are either applying the Spielberg things to adult-minded things, which feels like he's trying to, like, do the mea culpa, uh-huh. and, like, I'm the uh-huh. one guy with the sway to still get the kind of movies made mm-hmm. that used to be made before I started making movies. Uh-huh. And he's very Before publicly, I eradicated right. Very publicly disdainful of Hollywood and what he thinks Hollywood's doing right now. He thinks he's the model's fucked up it. now. Yeah. And he's like, it's all $200 million movies. You can't get anything made anymore. Right, and it's like, right. you're the one who kind of created that. Right. Yeah, not consciously. Not fault, you know? oh, I mean, he made a David bot. He's David Hobby. He's, right. he's Dr. Hobby. He's Professor right, Hobby. Right, That's what right, he did, yeah, you know? Yeah. He like made a thing because he wanted to make it and his intentions were good. And the thing he made was good, but it had these. It destroyed humanity. Right. And he's trying to like fucking bring it back. Right. You know, he's using the lock of hair and is like, how do I make a Capra movie? Put Tom Hanks in it, you know? Right. So I think this movie is him starting to like really contemplate his legacy. But then it was sold and packaged as like Spielberg does sci-fi right. again. Yeah, right. And everyone right, was right. furious. God, is there any chance you could get him on the show to talk about this movie? I would love if I to talk know, to him about this movie. One day, hopefully, maybe in my life, I'll get to talk to Steven Spielberg for some reason. Right. He'll make a movie. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. And he'll want to talk to a journalist. I think and he's I directing love... a couple episodes of The Tick this season. But <laughs> you know, maybe doing... you can get me an intro. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, this would be the movie I would love to know the most about. I'd love to pick his brain about the yeah. you, If you show. have one director and you can talk to that director about one movie they've made, would oh, this be the movie? I'd love to talk to him about that. I mean, movie. it would just be such an interesting conversation because you would learn so much, I'd even in his everything. contemporary reaction to your yeah. questions. He might be like, yeah, I don't know. I was trying some stuff. It, yeah, it's pretty good. Like, Jude yeah, Law gives a good pro- or yeah. Or he might be like, Thank you, David. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you see what I was doing. <laughs> he takes like a cube out of his head. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like... I'll say this. I met Ang Lee once and did that spiel to him about Hulk, and he did that exact thing. Right. Really? Like, I, like someone interested me and was like, hey, um, hey, this is Griffin. He wants to talk to you about Hulk. And he goes like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I was like, no, 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 no. I think I get it. And I said my like 15 seconds, and he literally went like, Thank you. And it yeah. was like hushed tones. It was like, I feel right. like I have to apologize for that movie all the time. But yeah, that's what I was trying to do. Really? And he wasn't like, it's a masterpiece, right? Right, right. But right. he was like, yeah, that's what I was trying Nobody to do. Nobody gets that that's what yeah. I was going for. Yeah. Oh, it'd be and so I kind of want to believe that Spielberg would do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, right. He'd be like, only, he's right. talked but about yeah. the movie. He would say that. He would say, here's my fantasy. He would say, first of all, David Reese, it's so great to finally meet you. <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> Um, I was a huge fan of Election Profit. Right, exactly. Like, got the that podcast. Shirt. <laughs> Where are the other he, four and, episodes and, and, of going deep on Amazon? And then he, and then he, and then he would say, "Thank you. That is the only movie I've ever made that matters. <laughs> like, it's the only good one." And it says everything. I left it all on the road out there. Kind of his whole. I think. I think it is sort of the key to unlocking his entire identity. Really? Yeah, I kind of do. I, I think, know. like, I think it's, it's definitely a key to unlocking his identity at this at this point, you know, in his career. But I think that's the point. This is the fulcrum point of everything he ever represented. I'm trying to find. I mean, I've certainly seen him talk about the movie post the film's react. You know, the react uh-huh. where he talked about the fact that it's like the his amusement at the idea that people thought he tacked on the ending, where he's like, "That was Stanley Kubrick, man." Right. Like, I was working with what he gave me, and, and like, by the way, it's me. not a happy ending. Yeah, no. that is right. part of a whole. You right, know? Um, right. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see more of him talking about this movie. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure maybe he has. Uh, maybe he'll write a book. Do you do one of those? I mean, things? honestly, what's Spielberg a ble- on Spielberg? Uh, yeah. What's a bleaker? What is a bleaker big Hollywood movie? It's a good question. I mean, there's there must be a couple other things, but it's yeah, this is right up there. I don't know. 
I mean, and I'm not saying because I mean, no, obviously, you're right. This is a bleak movie, and it has a bleak ending. Like it's not. Have you ever seen that movie Seconds? The Rock Hudson movie Seconds. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Frankenheimer movie. Yeah. yeah, which is also really kind of bleak, Very bleak. and and shattering. Yeah, there's because the message is you can't start over. Like you're doomed. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, like in the 60s and 70s, the, you know, Hollywood the conversations really bleak. Conversations, the, way the fucking taxi yeah. drivers bleak, right? Right, like, this fe- right. And, like and, that, you know? but I think when I talk about the dread in this movie, it is interesting because it does feel like what you're saying, like Spielberg kind of killed grown-up movies. Yeah. Or him right. and Lucas. And this, the vibe that I get from this movie is kind of that 70s vibe of like oh my god like <laughs> but then like, it's like a 2000s like sci-fi like right. big budget dollars. epic so right it's like right. he's like bring you in he's like you want the thing you like and then right. he slaps you in the face and right like, right You're dumb for wanting yeah the right and then makes you keep oh yeah back. you want to see skyscrapers that just look like a huge pair of neon tits yeah. all right but yeah. then we're yeah oh. i mean but that's the thing but people didn't react that way they kind of reacted just like the fuck was that like <laughs> yeah. they didn't react with right. like or i mean I, I feel like the overall reaction wasn't like i'm bummed out it was more like no. They were like, just like, no, they were just like it doesn't make any sense. Or, it's cheesy. Yeah. It's really trite. Very cheesy. A boy like, who can love, and it's all Pinocchio. It's all and Pinocchio. Like, and Why it's is so he have to stupid? Fucking, yeah. And you feel embarrassed. I think. I think a huge part of it is you feel, feel embarrassed, embarrassed for being pumped up for it. Well, maybe. no. I mean, also you feel embarrassed for him. You feel embarrassed for David. Like, yeah. dude, two thousand years you're sitting underwater looking at this dumb statue just so I'm, to make you real. Oh God, you know what I mean? Like, shot of the blue fairy statue just uh, crumbling is is rough. Yeah, when he touches it. Yeah, right. Uh, all right, but I, I think I, I gotta think, get us back on track. Yeah, yeah. What do you want to say? No, no, I just I think that's part of like the the reaction that audiences had very much was like a typical teenager response, where it's just like this, this is makes stupid. me feel weird. Right. It's dumb. It's, fuck yeah, you. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. you know, like yeah, once totally, it started totally. out on a weird foot, people just like pushed it away and defensively were like sure. laughing at it, so they okay. didn't have to engage with it. Now, can I can I say one? thing yeah so do you know the movie critic armand white yes oh yeah okay we worked at the new york press this so is, when this movie glory came years right, of armand right, right who's right. still around and right he's still he at for, every screening i go to right national he's a critic for national review he is so perfect yep. noted anyway tour contrary yeah right critic. yeah uh, exactly once called steve mcqueen a garbage man at yeah. uh, the new york film critic circle when they were giving steve mcqueen a award right but and, that and, same year listed jack and jill as one of his top 10 movies of the year right he is involved in a decades-long performance of being a cantankerous public intellectual <laughs> and I think even he no longer knows when he's trolling and when he's holding he, on to a, he, a, to legitimate anti-establishment, anti-Hollywood elitist gripes. He's but, lost the game a little bit in the bit. I would, the bit's right, gotten a yeah. little sloppy. I would, I would yeah. say, especially back in the day in these days, it used to be like if when Armand Wright wrote about something he liked, it was fucking beautiful. Like yeah. he could well, write the most incredible stuff about stuff he likes. Yeah, but so now that's he applies inter- that so, to Resident see, Evil Retribution. See, that's that's interesting to me because I have, so, so Armand White I'll explain to your listeners who are not East Coast elitists. Used to write for this no, free. Our, we have an only is it all? East Coast oh, okay, elite. No, no, so everyone, re- so you guys all remember podcast. the New York Press, this amazing uh, free alt weekly. And yep. he was the critic, and he would always just take a the opposite view of whatever the critical consensus was most of the time. Oh, yeah. He fucking loved AI, artificial intelligence. His review of I AI, saying. I read it the other week, is so incredible. It is. And and I have it right. And here. I could not find it because the New York Press no longer exists. The following week, he started to review another movie, and then basically was like, "Ah, fuck it, I need to talk about AI." Some more. <laughs> you idiots don't understand how incredible this movie is. And his argument in that his argument in that initial review was, "People are people can't handle this movie because they can't rem- they won't let themselves remember what it's like to be a child and to need to be loved." And it, and that review actually kind of made me think like, "Oh, like." 
like, is that is that why I kind of thought this movie was weird? Am I too afraid to remind myself what it's like to be vulnerable and needy? But rereading that review again, I don't think he actually got it. I don't this think is he a good got- take, you know. Right when you know, for when you just first saw when movie. you first, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think in the end, it's wrong. I think it's not that people made fun of the movie because they couldn't handle the innocent, like pure, bottomless innocence, need and longing that defines our childhood, and this and the weird Freudian erotic relationship that initial bond between mother and child, especially if it's mother and son, and all that stuff. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's more like what you were just saying. I think people reacted weird to this movie because they can't handle how fucking bleak the message is, which is that love is doom. Yeah. You know? It's a curse. It's like a thing we have to overcome. Like a disease. Yeah, right. We have to use all our other faculties and facilities as a human being to still function even though we have this love thing driving us. The sum total of human experience and human culture and human storytelling and myth-making and institutions and family and religion is to overcome the fact that we are empty. Right. You know what I mean? And you and we will never be filled. Yeah. I kind of feel like that's what makes the movie so kind of profound in a way and also why everyone made fun of it and snickered in the movie theater when I was watching it way back then. But I do think when you're a kid, you feel that and you don't know how to put it into words and you don't understand what's going on. But that's right. that loneliness, right? Yeah, yeah. And then as you get older and you learn how to deal with it and you push things away and you bring things closer and what have you. When, like, people want to see, like, Amblin-type movies, they want to be reminded of parts of their childhood that they still look back on fondly. And this movie is about a feeling that people don't put into words that everyone tries to forget when they grow up. Yeah, I feel like this movie is kind of, like, goes... You know, it's like there's so much adult culture now that just trades in nostalgia. And Spielberg, obviously, a huge part of that, right? And I feel like what he did in this movie was, like, you're like, well, you know what's behind your need for nostalgia and mommy's love. Right. Which is that you are an empty shell... And you always will be, and someday all of humanity will be erased. Right. You I mean, love Gremlins because Gremlins made you feel less close to death for two hours when you were ten. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway, a- AI analyzes how one loves by fathoming the need for love. Are those happy tears? David asks his distraught mother. In such moments, AI's unprecedented combination of curiosity and intimacy is breathtaking. breathtaking. I remember <laughs> that review. Yeah. The end of his review. Anyway, good movie. At the same, t- you know. At the same time, this is a movie that I would I would totally get a kick out of watching some comedian do like ten minutes just oh, ripping yeah. it to shreds. Like yeah. I it's a movie where I understand people disliking it, I guess. Or what you know sure. what I mean? Like I Yeah, no, I mean that's what's so audacious about it. It is preposterous. <laughs> it's preposterous. That's it's a great true, way to put it. It's truly preposterous. Shall and we it's discuss? so unconcerned with and, the internal most, logic. Yeah, I mean it's the only so thing we ambitious have and yeah. so it is. It's Very, like it's, you know, it's like a it's like it's preposterous in the way that cathedrals are preposterous. Mm, yeah. oh. They're reaching for something so ineffable right, and so like sublime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. really does feel like he's trying to make a sublime movie, mm. right? Where don't you can't really put all the it doesn't like the flow chart is never going to make sense. There's there is not a coherent theory of artificial intelligence vis-a-vis Gigolo Joe versus David. You know, it's contradicting mm. itself. It just turns into this deep, like I said earlier, just deep, churning, incredibly bleak, emotional sludge 
you know, in a way that, as cliche to say, it feels very human. I mean, it's very muddied in the way that all human struggles with the profound are are muddy. But well, it, and like but, the Bible works on an emotional level more than intellectual, right? Level yeah, because it, it right. contradicts itself all the well, time. Right, it's aiming yeah. at it, some right. sense of feeling. Right. Yeah. Right. Something that relates to this is the Doctor No scene, which I love. Which is like the idea of nothing trying he to, doesn't. There's nothing he doesn't. The idea of trying to break all human knowledge down to this algorithmic machine, right, right? Is so weird because one, he's trying to trick you. That's the best thing about Dr. No is maybe he's like, you better ask him exactly. He's like a weird oracle, right? right like right. He's, he's like it's a, a carny game. They're just trying to get money out of you. And, but at the same well, time, new bucks. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, they try, they want some new bucks. Yeah. Um, which is the best, by Love. the way. Uh, but, uh, it's maybe my favorite name for future the, currency. The weird puzzle of trying to get a proper answer out of him where they have to combine flat fact yeah. with fairy tale. Right. Yeah. Uh, is like he's trying to tell us something. Like, because if the movie has a set piece, it's the fucking Dr. Nosey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where like, Robin Williams. The most tension is there. They only have nine <laughs> questions. Robin Williams plays a cartoon Mr. Einstein. And he's going like full goofballs <laughs> McGillicuddy, and that's the most tension in the whole movie. Is Robin then, Williams going then, like, ask right. a question. There's nothing I don't know. Right. Right. <laughs> and then, and, but then he's like, Pinocchio, <laughs> like the way his, his he becomes so reverent. But then, what's really crazy is then you hear Hobby hacked into him to yeah, give. Right, I mean, yeah. it makes no. It's crazy. It's yeah, it's preposterous. Um, That's my. What final do you guys think adjective. of Rouge? Rouge is actually not much of the movie. No, in my no. head, it was a little more. But really, and I watched this with Joanna. And it's she, the most expensive part of the movie, but certainly it's, not. Yeah, like yeah. that scene where they go through the lady mouth mm-hmm. tunnels. Adrian is, Grenier is loving it. <laughs> Adrian Grenier wants that. Wants that uh the porn bot on his dick, you know the uh, yeah 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 he had a little dance on his dick. Uh, that you know you I think you think like all right here we go, but I do love the idea that you go just like check this place out. I was made here. I you know I learned all my tricks of the trade here, and he's like okay yeah where's the nearest doctor no <laughs> like right. How do I, like <laughs> right no he's yeah. Uh, and and then of course I mean I really do think the religious metaphors are obvious in this movie, but I I do like uh that Gigolo Joe gets that moment where he, he hangs outside of the church. Right. And he's yeah. like, this is when people want to see me the most. Right. <laughs> when yeah, they're yeah. coming out of right. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah we've talked about the whole movie now because then, of course, the end. We we've talked talk, about we mostly, Yeah, yeah. We mostly do- dove into the end. but That I was mean, our beginning. The end is his self-awareness, right? He comes yeah. to meet Hobby. He realizes he is a... a a, a fucking speck, you know. This is the most. Yeah, this the, scene where he is meets so, his double. And... This is when people really start laughing. I think this is when people really. I mean, my experience watching it in the theater. It's so uncomfortable. How it's do you not so laugh? uncomfortable when he said, and maybe this is what, maybe this is a moment that Armin White gets at in his review when he's saying, "I am special. I am unique. I am David." I mean, he's really putting it all out there. Yeah. In a way that. That the rest of us spend our entire lives doing that as subtext, right? Right? You know what I mean? Um, but for him to do it and then to literally violently destroy smash. his doppelganger yes. because he realizes he is not special, right? Like there's boxes and boxes, and, the, and one of the boxes is moving. Like it's yeah. like very it's, overt that scene horror is just movie. so over the top, and just no. I love I love it. I love it too. And then that final line of his, my brain is falling out. Yeah, which is like such a great childish encapsulation of right, like the, the awareness of mortality, right, or yeah. or one's like or your mind being blown. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, totally. My brain is falling out. Can, totally. Can I throw out one more the, angle? Yeah, that I think is important to talk about with this movie because we talked a lot about it being sort of a horror movie about the terror of being a child, you know, and not being able to understand what you feel and all of that. This is also a horror movie about being a parent. 
Like, yeah. I, I think this is totally, from Spielberg's perspective, as a dude who has a bunch of kids, right? Oh, does he? Yeah, a Tons bunch. Of kids. Adopted. Oh, kids. Right, birth, okay. okay. You yeah. know, himself came out of his own penis, a lot of children. And uh, th- I think this is, to some degree, a movie, I, I don't think this is the main thesis, but I think it's a thing he's wrestling with, is the terror of bringing something into the world and printing it and knowing uh-huh. that forever that thing's going to be tied to you. Yeah, I never. Yeah, I'm not a parent, so I haven't thought about that angle. Yeah, this but, is. I mean, three yeah, non-parents right. talking about this. That would make sense. Yeah. But I've like heard a lot of people who are parents who like can't watch this fucking movie. It I have friends who. Them. I have friends who mm-hmm. are parents and can't watch this movie because it's like a terror of like this is my fear of what will happen if I bring a child into the world. Right. This is yeah. my fear of what could happen to my child. I already have. Right. Um, and just that like they will forever ever be defined by your relationship to them yeah. and it will never go away. Yeah. Whether you're present, whether sure. you abandon them. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. You're right. It's a good nightmare of parenthood. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, and then his, I mean, I interpret him, it, like his self-defense mechanism finally kicks in and he decides to die, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know what else that's supposed to be when he basically just pitches himself off. He says mommy the and then he throws himself off the skyscraper. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, uh, right. and you know, I used to, People used to, I feel like, as they came so around. Crazy. I know you it's just so, said it out loud. It's so crazy, and uh, the um, it's so intense. Oh god! And then Gigolo Joe gets sucked away, and he, he has that perfect final line: "I am, I, am, I, I was. was right," Ooh, which baby. is yeah, right. Like if that's a robot summing up right. the experience of death, right? Right. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, we don't have time to get into this, but God, what a weird career Jude Law's had. He's had a Especially weird Especially when at this movie it felt like it was like, this is going to be the anointment, you know? Right, this is the beginning of uh, superstardom. Yeah. But like Spielberg gets like, Jude Law is an uncommonly pretty, odd-looking guy. He's a right. little He's too perfect slick. for this kind of a role, which yeah. is right. like a sort of a perversion of a movie star. Like, yeah, yeah. Yes. You know, like some sort of ersatz movie star that right. has like the look, but like there's just something off about him. Yeah. And then he goes like... Yeah, yeah. And he starts playing. Uh, he moves jazz so music. well in this movie. He moves he looks like amazing. a fuck yeah. boy. It's incredible. He looks like a fuck boy. He moves like a fuck boy, Ben Bot? Yes. Define fuck boy. All right. A fuckable boy. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know, in the same, in, or is it next year? He's in Road to Perdition. Like, yeah. That's 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 the good Jude Law shit. He needs to be something weird. He's a great character, I think. It's that thing that happens a lot with like an incredibly handsome, charismatic dude everyone thinks is a leading man, and then they realize they're a character actor. And his breakout was Talented Mr. Ripley, in which he played a really handsome, uh, charismatic dude, but as a character part. Yeah. So yeah. everyone was like, oh, just make him the lead of stuff. And it's like, too slick. It never too really slick. works. It only works in Cold Mountain. And, you know, that's yeah, yeah. You got, a, got some notes for us, David? A really literal question. Sure. So it, in the final shot of the movie, Monica has fallen asleep and David is in bed with her and the voiceover says that he goes to the place where dreams are born. Yes, right. And Teddy crawls up on the bed and, wa- and watches over them. I was hoping yeah. we get to this. The next day, what does Teddy do? <laughs> Fucking sits and contemplates is it like his a, does he Does he do 2,000 well, years of, of focused meditation? Well, here's, the, here's the other question about Teddy. Monica turns him on. When she brings him back. Right. So there is the implication that you can kind of hibernate that guy, right? Right. Like, yeah. yeah. But who's going to do that now? I don't know. Maybe I, they like him too. Maybe there's a Teddy museum. If Spielberg didn't want you to be asking that, I don't think Teddy would be in the final shot. Yeah. I think it's a mirror of, I. you know, obviously the most, the most obvious analogy came, you know, just a few minutes ago in the movie when they sat looking at, um, when they sat looking at the Blue Fairy for 2,000 years. Yeah. And Teddy said, we're in a cage. 
And then now we're in a second cage because now Teddy, because you're pulling out the final shot, they pull out through the window of their their house yes. reconstruction or yep. s- whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And again, you're in a basically a glass box, kind of witnessing helplessly or wishing on this idealized fuck. This is what it is. Yeah. Okay. So think about it. He's in the amphibicopter for looking at years, for yeah. looking, looking at, at this idealized yes. vision of motherhood, Absolutely. Madonna. Yes. Everything, and God, right? Right, yeah, right. Yeah. and God. Just the whole kit and caboodle. The creator. Yeah. Wish, just wishing, wishing, please, please make me a real boy. Make me a real boy, right? Yeah. For 2,000 years. And yeah, Teddy's sitting there time. like, I can't believe we're sitting here for 2,000 <laughs> years in this cage. This kid is never going to get what he wants, right? Then I they get plans. Then, then they, yeah, then they get yeah. saved. Then they get I'm saved. Call my girlfriend until I'm canceling and then the, And then the movie ends with Teddy, presumably, there's no reason not to believe this wouldn't happen, spending the rest, another 2,000 years, now looking not at the idealized image of mommy slash God, but this, I guess, a pieta, right? A of tableau, the mo- yeah. Of the mother and the son reunited. In death. Yeah, in yes. a death, em- in a literal death embrace, yeah. Yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, if, if Spielberg didn't want you thinking about that, knowing he's just a, a filmmaker of such intentionality, even right. when he's bad, there's nothing that's in there by accident, right? right? Even yeah. in the Wikipedia recap, the last line, Teddy climbs into the bed and watches as David and Monica lie together. But he doesn't climb together. into the bed, he climbs onto the bed. Like, I even think yeah, right. that's right. a big decision. Yeah, yeah. he sits yeah. at the foot of the yeah, bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he doesn't lie down. He right. sits no, no. Right. facing he sits. towards them. He watches them. them. And that's yeah. the last uh, thing yeah, the movie yeah. leaves you with, is yeah, him just looking at them the And then all the lights in the house are going out until it's just that one... The silhouette of Teddy looking at two dead oh people. Oh, my God. <laughs> Teddy won. He did. Teddy gets out of this one yeah, alive. Yeah. Teddy won. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, when I was watching this for Joanna and when the two th- you know, when the fucking thing falls on him and he, she was like, Jesus, this it's going to end like this? And I was like, no, it, it, it's it's worse. Like, you know, like you think it'll end. That's when everyone thinks it ends. Right. I and mean, the big criti- criticism, right? So it should have just ended right? with him staring at this dumb statue underwater forever, right? Like, but that feels incomplete to and me. And that's a less challenging ending. Like, yeah, it's, it's I, agree. I agree. I agree. You just right. walk out and you go, well, that's dark. You don't right. have to it, think about it. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, then right. it's just a Poor tragedy. guy never got what he wanted. That's yeah, a shame. It's, it's right. a tragedy. But the real ending is like, oh, he got what he wanted. Like, it's... <laughs> a mother's and you love get to is see pretty it. messed up. Right. Yeah. Right. Here they have that coffee rotary thing, the like little carousel yeah. of coffees. How yeah. many coffees do these guys have? That's what I couldn't stop thinking about during the coffee. They have like nine brands of coffee. Yeah, that's definitely you mean my Monica major take and her away. husband. Yeah, Monica yeah. and her husband. Jesus. Yeah. Careless consumerism. Well, I mean, that's what led to the seawaters rising, right? Manhattan. That's why that's they like, call yeah. it Manhattan. Manhattan. And like, don't try so and tell weird. don't try and think why. A massive Cybertronics company would have its headquarters, headquarters in a flooded city. Yeah. They're like, hey, just don't use floors one through twenty-five. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I don't care. I don't yeah. know. Helicopter and fibicopter to the top of the building, <laughs> and then elevator down. Yeah. Do you think there are people like in the mail room who are just like they just don't know seeing fish floating by? Yeah, right. Underwater. Yeah. So I'm glad. Well, yeah, I actually did not think we were all going to like this movie. And glad that we all at least thought it was interesting. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's a great movie. I think it's a great American movie. I think it is. I think it's one of the most. In, I mean, it's kind of a cop out. It's yeah. a very, very interesting that's movie. That's fine. Yeah. And I think it's, it's doubly interesting because of who made it mm-hmm. and because of the budget and because that it was actually in movie theaters outside of his own mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it feels like... And it's a hell of a year for movies, too. It comes in a crazy great year for movies. In 2001? Yeah. Mulholland Drive. 
That's a good movie. Uh, Gosford Park, which is one of my favorite Great movies. Great movie. Uh, Rush Hour 2. <laughs> Royal Tenenbaums, A Memento. A lot of, like, uh, influential movies. Right, yeah, yeah. Waking Life is that uh-huh. year. Uh, a lot of movies. In the bedroom, Donnie Darko, which is Train not day. a movie I yeah. love, but is a movie that's had yeah. Those are a ambitious. Footprint. Those Moulin are ambitious Rouge, movies. Trek, Fast and the Furious. Yeah, Doctor Doolittle too. Do you think they should have just when they watched the final cut of this movie and like you know what, Stephen, we all love it. This is a profound piece of filmmaking. How would you feel if we said it was a David Lynch movie? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Because if it was a David Lynch movie, I feel like everyone would go in with yeah. the right sense. Because Mulholland Drive actually is another movie that does give me kind of the same feeling of dread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? so I like, it makes me, I, I have more fun watching that movie. Than AI? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, just, I mean, it's just, I know what you mean. It certainly has a very profound sense of dread, but it's more, it's literally more fun. Like it's having yeah. more fun. Yeah, but do you think if they had marketed it as a David Lynch movie, people I, would have kind of gone in ready to have the think, moment of like, oh shit, exa- this is so heavy, bro. There is no and, question that Spielberg's name totally messed with people's perception of the movie. Yeah, right? right. There can't be, and also the fact that they released it in June, which is an right. odd time to right. release. Right. And they also like were this. very mysterious with the marketing. I mean, there was that whole thing. This was yeah, like the, the first movie was to just do... the AI, right, right. you know, like yeah. yeah. But this was also the first movie to do what's the term I'm looking for? In the marketing, they did the thing. Do you remember this? On the poster and in the trailer, there was a credit block for like some sort of specific scientific assistant. And someone leaked to like oh, Anacool really? News, like, oh, if you Google that name and that weird credit. And they did like oh yeah they did like viral marketing right not augmented reality but what's the term no ARG ARG right yes there was like a whole ARG and he was the first person to like use this in mainstream marketing where they created a whole like sphere of websites for the companies connected to the movie and there was like a mystery to unlock oh people got really into it and that was like a lot of the marketing and then the trailers were very short right very sparse right very sort of enigmatic. Right. You know, there yes, was like it was very an elaborate murder mystery that played out across right. hundreds of websites. What? You had to yeah. solve this murder right. of like a scientist. Yeah. Uh, it was a runaway success. Um, but uh, yeah, it didn't actually fucking make any fucking sense compared to like this movie. Can I do a quick merchandise spotlight? Very quick. Very quick. Yeah. Uh, they thought, oh, Spielberg movie. It's got a toy in it. That's an obvious one. So they like made a teddy. I think using like Furby technology, they like made a teddy and it was going to come out that Christmas. And they were like, we got to rush it. We were behind the, the wheel on this one. So we got to rush it to get out in time for Christmas. And then June, when the movie opens, they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and so they like pulled the plug immediately. So the teddies go for like a thousand dollars now. Wow. Does the teddy say anything other than where is David? It just it, says this that. is Where's a cage. Yeah. Is oh my yeah, gosh. but super teddy. They try to make it look like the packaging of what it would right, be in the right, movie. Right, right, right. But I think they like it's it's a very very hard to find item. The the fucking teddy bot is amazing. You want to see? It's incredible. Yeah. What do you mean? See the real? You know how they made him? Oh, happen. it was a real. It's a real robot. Oh, yeah. they did. But it. Even when they do the CGI oh. for some of the scenes where he's more physically right, yeah. active, right, yeah. it's yeah. very well done. Yeah, yeah. He looks. Great. And I don't mean this backhandedly, but like right. t- the fucking Seth MacFarlane Ted comes out like twelve years later, and the CGI is as good in AI. Right. You know, like the no advancements have been made; they no. just nailed it on the first try. Yeah. Um, Box office game. Yeah. Okay. So it was June 29th, ninth, two thousand one. Opened twenty one million. Is that correct? Twenty nine million. Wow, that's higher than I thought. Uh, yeah, it opened pretty well, and then it it only makes seventy eight. So it it really worldwide or domestic? No, domestic. Okay. Worldwide, it made two hundred thirty five million dollars. So it actually yeah. did fine. And what was the budget? A hundred million dollars. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. 
a lot of shit going on yeah. in this movie. Is this Spielberg's least successful movie? No, not not by a long oh, shot. Oh, okay. But I will say, I think uh, at this point, if you're taking out, at this point, it's one of his biggest bombs in years. He only had a couple at this point that didn't make a hundred million. Like it's like always didn't make a hundred million. Always Amistad and the other and one, Empire, Empire of the, the Sun. Sun. Oh right. And um, then Save for Sugarland Express. Like those are the only in movies. Nineteen forty-one. Oh right. But almost always he yeah. made over 100. So this was like a big Definitely. It's at the yeah. bottom end of his, you know, usually, yeah. Even like Hook made a ton of money, you know, right. whatever. Like even his kind of crappy movies do well. And like Color Purple was huge. Even when he yeah. would do like drama. Like Color Schindler's Purple List made, made like a ton of money, you know? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And Saving Private Ryan three years earlier was the number one movie of that year. And that's right. a very like very hard uncompromising, to imagine hard like to watch now. movie. Right. Number two is a movie you love. It's its second week. Uh, it's, Fast and the Furious. Yes. Right. Yeah. Fast and the Furious. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, right. More of a summer fair, I would uh-huh. say. More of your typical summer Although fair. if you really think about what's going on in those movies, David, it is so dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those about movies are also about of, our unending yeah, need yeah. for love. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, well, what a movie yeah. is it? Yeah. I mean, Vin Diesel is kind of our mother, you know, culturally. Uh-huh. He is the mother uh-huh. we're always seeking the approval from. Well, it is interesting that the point of the movie is that they're driving a quarter mile. Like, they're driving nowhere. They're right. just driving, like, It's two- a human condition, man. Right. We're all driving that right? <laughs> and they all gather to watch this spectacle. Okay, number two. Also, car zooms and go fast. Number three is a sequel to a children's movie that you've already Doctor Doolittle, too. Yeah. yeah. I actually loved the first one when I, I was little. I did, too. And I remember- I have not seen the second one. It was the day before my brother and I were both going to go to a sleepaway camp. My parents dropped us off at the theater, and they were like, you can go see a movie. Like, as long as you stay together, you can go see a movie together. And I really want to see Doctor Doolittle, too. And he put his foot down for Fast and Furious, which I was furious about at the time. Mm-hmm. And he ended up saving my life. Yeah. By, you know- Bringing me into the, the franchise, it really, that was, <laughs> uh, no, I needed that. Number four is a very successful, or, or quite successful, video game movie. Uh, uh, the first Resident Evil? No. Uh, 2001. It was like a decent hit for a movie based on a video game. It launched a star. She'd already won an Oscar. Oh, oh, uh, uh, Tomb, Tomb Raider. Raider. Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. Yeah. What do you guys think of that? Not never, a never saw movie. it. Pretty yeah. forgettable. You know what? I'm thinking I've only seen a handful of Steven Spielberg movies. When you're naming all these right? movies, I feel like I've seen Well, you've probably seen Jaws, E.T., e. Close ones. Encounters. I don't think I've seen Close Encounters all the way through. <sighs> well, have you seen Jaws? Yes. You've seen the Ra- the Indiana Jones movie? I've seen yeah. And I've seen I see the I've seen the first Indiana Jones movie. Sure. I've seen E.T. Right. Adventures of Tintin though? No, I had to do a hard pass on that. <laughs> uh, we'll listen to our episode about it later this podcast. I've done. I've seen AI, and I've seen. You've seen Shinless List? No. Private uh-huh. Ryan? No. Uh, Amistad? No. Color Purple? No. Uh, Hook? No. The Terminal? Hey, you're, you've, you're missing no. a lot of them. Minority Report? Yeah. Movie. <laughs> yeah. My buddy's in that. Shout out to Daniel. Really? Who yeah, is he? Wally. Oh my god! The, the, uh, tech. the, the tech. The yeah, fucking. Yeah. It's your guy. That's your buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's not an old college good. friend. Yeah. He's, um, yeah. Uh, Catch Me If You Can. You seen that one? Yeah. Is that about guy, a guy running a scam? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Leo DiCaprio. Okay. He's yeah. A big scam that's, artist. Uh, yeah. That's Keeps the, taking okay. on different yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, War of the Worlds. These are yeah. The okay. Yes. We're All right. Now I've, I'm in more, I guess, into These late are, Spielberg. Now Munich. Have you seen Munich? Uh, you might yes, kick out I, have, I have. Okay. Yeah. So you got to go post 2000s and then you're on. Yeah. Did Tintin, you see Lincoln? No. no. War, Horse. Uh, War Horse? No. Bridge of Spies? Bridge of Spies? No. BFG? Probably not. No. Yeah. I haven't seen BFG. So, you know, yet. you got to catch up to the recent right. effort. Okay, yeah. what's number five? Uh, number five is a very good movie um, by a an African American director. Ooh. 
that made a little bit of money. I, I would say it's probably the last good movie he ever made. So is this a John Singleton movie? Yes. It's the last good movie he made. Uh, it is a very nice little movie, though. It introduced Shaft the world. Is the year before that. Is it Baby Boy? It's Baby Boy. Okay. I never saw uh, that. Which is a pretty small scale, kind of indie, almost like indie yeah. feeling drama. It was a coming of about age. Growing up. Yeah, yeah starring mm. Tyrese. It would be indie right. today. At yep. that time, studios still made yeah. small movies like that. Yeah. Uh, good movie. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, he goes on to make Too Fast, Too Furious next, I think. And yeah. That's his next movie. Yeah. Falls off the deep end there. That opened to eight million in uh in this weekend. Okay. So yeah, so AI doesn't really you know make a big deal at the box office. It gets nominated for two Oscars, score visual and visual and effects, yeah. both deserved. Uh, and I feel like it sort of eventually becomes a bit of a critic's darling. But I mean, like you know, it's taken a long time for people to come around on AI. Yeah, I feel like it also has it's become still so scarred with its. It's. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, not saying this is exclusively its supporter base, but I feel like it is the Spielberg movie for people who don't like Spielberg. I agree with that. Can I give Can I give a shout out to an essay somebody wrote that really? Yeah, f- please do. You were telling me. I want to read this. So essay. the writer Timothy Kreider, I think it's Kreider. I can't remember if it's Kreider or Kreider. K R E I D E R wrote an essay for this movie in Film Comment. Short. I think shortly after it came out. I yeah, you got his name right. Tim Tim Kreider. And uh, it's really insightful and really helped me understand why I find this movie disturbing. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to give a shout out to I'm Tim's essay. I'm looking yeah, at his I, cartoons right now. He's got some cool I liked, cartoons. I liked it, yeah. Nice shout out. And uh, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Going Deep with David Reese, which you can find in a treasure chest at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, we it's are underneath. in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> Spend 2,000 years praying to the Blue Fairy that that will yeah. ever come out on a good DVD yeah. edition. Folks, get inside your amphibicopter and hunt for that Blu-ray. Uh, it's a great show, and it's worth the effort. Um, Thank you. And it's, it's, yeah, it is, I'll, I'll say it again, it is a show that has actually changed the way I live my day-to-day life. I love that. I, was, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, it's, a, it's a real, it's a gift of a program. I totally agree. I love going deep. Uh, and thank you so much for being I'm on the show. I'm excited so for Thank you so much for having next, me. David. It was I, uh, great to have you. Well, I was so stoked to talk about this movie and I was so excited when I heard that you found this movie as fascinating as I do because it really is like one of the strangest movies I think I've ever seen Mm -hmm. in a way that feels very authentically strange Mm -hmm. instead of the whole point of this is that it's strange do you know what I mean it just feels like it's almost trying to be normal. Well, hey, wait, right. this is it a Hollywood movie. People don't yeah. like it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wait, no, 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 no. We're trying to entertain you. Look at this, you know, Rouge City. Yeah, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. build so, that yeah. big of a set if you don't think everyone's going to get on board with right. your movie. Yeah. I just think it's such a fascinating movie. So thanks for letting me come on to talk about it. Definitely. Thank our, you for having pleasure. me. Thank you I mean, for thank, being here. Thanks us for having you. Thanks. thanks oh, big thanks boy. to us for having you on the show. Next week, uh, Minority Report. Next week is Minority Report. Oh. Um, it's a great, uh, it's a great, great, great film. And we have a cool guest who I'm not going to say because every time I announce a guest, then they then end up canceling it. it. So, so I'm not going to jinx us, but I think we'll have a really I great guest on the guess. next episode. Um, Ooh, please remember boy. to uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Ben Bond, how are you doing? Come on, man. Put some, it's not, don't be great, afraid to David. ask for what you like. Review, subscribe on iTunes. I'd love yeah. it. Write us a review, fellas. Um, don't give zero stars unless you're a Sith Lord. Uh, ben Bot, uh, commence final thoughts? Yes. Um, we didn't get to it, but the future music. Oh, right. Yeah, we I don't, about I that. don't think it's free jazz. So for, I'm going to shout out Vaporwave. Uh, so if anyone's interested, YouTube Vaporwave, and you'll hear what real future music sounds like. Uh, th- thank you very much, uh, Ben Bot. Uh, thank you all for listening. 
Uh, and as always, uh, Benbot initiate self-destruct mode. <laughs> Let's get out of here. This has been a UCB Comedy production. Check out our other shows on the UCB Comedy Podcast Network. Thank you.